know that sound. Get fired up. Oh, the State of Combat podcast returns on CBS Sports, and it's back with a bang. It's backed, of course, it's backed and underwritten by that performance-enhancing audio. We don't all that, but we are back with the MMA edition this week. Our buddy old Andy is back. I back. Trust me, I back. So is this damn program following UFC 234, a wild card down under. We didn't get all the thunder. We didn't catch all that smoke we were intended on. Got a very interesting main event with some spin-off possibilities and another loaded show this week. Hey, you know what the deal is. You like this show? You know, you're hip to the show. You may want to tell some people about it. You may want to pay that forward. See something, say something. Please head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you consume fine audio. Give us that five-star review. Tell us what you like about the show. Tell us what you don't like. Now, no, keep that part to yourself. Just tell us. Tell us that you are listening we're going to recap all things UFC 234 and preview what's really a loaded weekend inside the fisticuffs, inside that damn cage. We got two Bellator cards this weekend, including that must-see MVP blockbuster in the welterweight Grand Prix tournament against Paul Semtex Daly. And not only are we going to break down this MVP Paul Daly matchup at excruciating detail, hey, we're going to talk to both colorful participants ahead of this amazing Bellator fight this weekend on zone. So get fired up for that. We got the debut UFC on ESPN card Sunday night with a heavyweight bout. That's going to bang. Cain Velasquez against Francis Ngannou. We so also have the starting left tackle on the 2008 Boca High North uh, State Champions, number 65 in your scorebook, but number one in your heart, CBS Sports. It's a writer. Editor Brandon Wise. Wise man, how are you on this fine uh, week here? I'm in L.A. You're in Fort Lauderdale. Let's do this. B.C., I feel as washed as you are in real life today because I've been on a weekend bender almost <laughs> of doing a lot of drinking, hanging out wow. with family and friends, trying to, you know, enjoy life. Be like you. Be like you. Just enjoy every day as much as you can. And I'm hurting today. Wow. And, but I'm not hurt. I am not hurting as much as Robert Whitaker is, apparently. And not as much as my back is. I broke my back, <laughs> folks. I'm old. I'm 40. Robert Whitaker definitely hurting. He's got an explode. Ex- he's got an exploding bowel. More on that to come. Hey, we've also got a third voice sitting in on the show this week. A fine producer at CBS Sports. A rabid MMA fan. A guy I've known since his teenage days in the ESPN newsrooms throwing, uh, spitballs against the bathroom wall. The great Mikey Mormile. Sitting in this week, producing us this show, helping us out. Broski, welcome. It is an honor to be here, guys. Thank you for the opportunity. That's what I'm talking about. A lot of people don't know uh, my former mentor, the late great Anthony Mormile, Mikey's dad, uh, the founder of ESPN MMA Live back in the day with with Karen Portley. Mikey got to you. Would you? You were like all over back then. You were like at Lesnar. Uh, which one were you at? Lesnar Mir. Two? Was that Lesnar Mir too? Uh, I basically went to every good UFC event from like 2008 to 2013, pretty much. That's crazy. That's, that's UFC okay. 100, UFC 101, uh, UFC 87, UFC 113. Wow. And then the closer ones, 200, 205. Not a bad teenage sports. life for Mikey, but he's all grown up now. Uh, we're gonna have all those things promised on this show right after this. A word from our friends and sponsors. And we're back, broskies. We got a lot to get into. A lot of news came out from Australia, but this was 
unfortunately par for the course over the past year of the kind of last minute things we're seeing. It wasn't a weight violation this time around, but UFC 234 in Melbourne, as the Aussies like to say, saw the home king, Robert Whitaker, the middleweight champion, pull out the morning of really three, four, five hours before the card due to a hernia in his abdomen. He had surgery pretty much immediately. He was vomiting overnight. Turns out, what is this, Brandon Wise? I mean, I, I had Taco Bell last night, so I think I had this this morning. Exploding bowel? What was this? What are we What are we calling this? A collapsed bowel, not an exploding bowel. He posted it on his Instagram today or last night to uh, to let people know what was going on with his health conditions, give more insight because he had a collapsed bowel that led to a herniated disc. I think it was in his intestines. It. All of it just sounds really bad and like stuff that should have been probably checked before he got this close to the fight. But yeah, I really hope he gets right, gets healthy because Robert Whitaker, man, he has such, he has such potential to be a star for them in Australia and in that part of the world. But if he can't be healthy, it's a little bit scary just because you never know with him at this point, right? Like, he can have this kind of event happen where four hours before it's like, oh, no, I'm hurt. I can't do this. The worst thing for a 28-year-old guy in his prime that's already in the middle of that pound for pound top 10 that was supposed to get his pay-per-view A-side close-up here headlining in his home country, the worst thing is to get that injury-prone tag considering went 10 hellacious rounds with Yoel Romero, the reptilian, the guy who was not human and was so battle-tested, missed 11 months after the first one. Eight months after the second fight with hand surgery, and now he misses this opportunity. And it unfortunately threw a weird curveball into what had been perfect booking. We said that last week coming in. Two sexy-ass middleweight bouts that was going to produce a must-see fight of some kind to spin off. Now we have a bottleneck coming off of this. Uh, can we just say best of luck to Robert Whitaker? I hope he bounces back. Or do you, Brandon Wise, have concern about this man's health? I mean, what's uh, what's going on here? This almost feels like a situation where you might need to take the belt off of him, right? We because don't need no interims, we don't need this. What? <laughs> but it's just like, what? What do you do? Like, what if he's out two to three months now and he hasn't fought it since June, like you said, against Yoel Romero? I don't know what to do. Like you, like you said, there is now a bottleneck. Kelvin Gaslam needs a fight, even though, like we said last week, he probably didn't deserve the opportunity he was getting. <laughs> But he was walking around with a damn belt acting like he was a How champion. Genius which, How genius was that marketing choice? Whoever was – was that – is he an Ali Abdelaziz guy? Yes, he is. Damn right he and, is. And what, did they borrow the belt from uh, Henry Cejudo? So, from Henry Cejudo. And, he's and Henry Cejudo – I think it was a Henry Cejudo and Ali job where they were kind of like, hey, you should definitely just take this belt and go start telling people you're the champ. Man, Ali is straight – Gangster, I love me some Ali. Ghetto man, and he fights in a ghetto way. Do you see that picture I sent you of his Instagram shirtless there rolling around? This guy, he'll kill you. I don't want to talk about Ali anymore. He's just such a weird dude and so slimy People as it is. People are trying to poison him, okay? Just respect the man. Anyway, smart move by Gastelum. Yes, going to a uh, backstage scrum, uh, acting like he's the champion, saying I won by forfeit. All that was genius. It kept his name in the headlines. But, yeah, we have a little bit of problem here. Hopefully the problem isn't Whitaker's health. Hopefully you can rebook Whitaker Gastelum soon. But should you? Because that wasn't the main event this time around. It was Israel Adesanya. We got a lot to talk about in how he defeated Anderson Silva, and we will in a minute. 
But let's jump the gun here. What do you do next? What do you do next? With Robert Whitaker? With this title. I have a quick question before, real fast. Bring it. How, how we've had so many problems with these past cards, like you were saying early this year, um, people pulling out while they're missing weight and stuff. How do you not have a, that fight? How do you not have Israel Adesanya set up as that second fight where if something were to happen to Whitaker or Gastelum, that he steps in and you say, hey, Anderson, you're going to fight someone like Sam Alvey or someone else on the card so that you don't completely eliminate that and then maybe you get Adesanya versus uh, Gaslam for an interim belt or just a number one contender matchup. I think that's fair, I, but I think it came down to the problem was the champion was the guy who was hurt, and you had Anderson Silva who worked so hard for this comeback opportunity, and it happened after the weigh-in, so they weren't able to bring in a last-minute opponent. It seemed like it could have just made sense. Like you said, go Israel, Gaslam in the main event. I guess you could make a fake interim title and just say, Anderson, uh, stay in the gym. We'll get you something better, but I don't know. Maybe it was the right move to not to not break glass and panic on that. What do you think, Wise? I think it's one is that, and two is there weren't any other middleweights on the card to fill in. Like the Sam Alvey fight, he was at light heavyweight, so that wouldn't seem fair to Anderson to make him fight a light heavyweight when he's been cut. He already cut down to 185 the day before. I think that there was also too many guarantees. Like, like we talked about last week. Dana White guaranteed Anderson Silva a title shot if he won against Israel Adesanya. And Israel Adesanya was saying the same thing, that he was going to get a title shot if he beat Anderson Silva. So it's like you're going to kill off one of those guys' guarantees that you made, which is also going to hurt them financially, just to make a quick fix because of a freak injury that could have you could not have predicted is what Dana says. Um, yeah, I just don't think – I think the way they handled it was the best way. I think – just have put Gaslam back on the shelf for a minute and let Israel and Anderson take the main event. I don't think there was a need when you when we found out this news at what three o'clock in the afternoon our time, and the fight card was at ten. So I don't think that anybody would have taken that decision. By the way, to fight somebody else on seven hours notice when you have zero time to prep or plan for anything, I think that this was as as good a scenario as they could have envisioned. I mean, they got lucky for what was really a bad card on paper. Really one of the worst pay-per-views on paper to have a co-main event this sexy with this money matchup. So probably really the, the decision probably came down to the fact that most of this card, yeah, in Australia people bought it for Whitaker, but the American pay-per-view buys are going to be because of Anderson Silva being in such a high-profile, dangerous title fight. You take that scenario away from him, you probably lost whatever remaining pay-per-view buys there were. But... uh it remains to be seen, is Israel going to get Gastelum next? Is Israel going to just skip the leap the, the pack and get Whitaker next? Is Whitaker not going to be around for a while? That's sort of, we don't know what's going to happen, but let's break down what we actually saw in this main event. Look, we feared for Anderson Silva's life. He didn't seem to on, on, my, on our interview in the podcast with him last week. Yet when he entered that cage, tell me if I'm wrong, fellas, I saw some legitimate, fear would be the wrong word, but... Nerves and concern, knowing the danger of what he's into. When he came into that cage, I was less confident that this was going to end good. Yet, man, did he touch our nostalgic feel hole and put forth a a sort of whatever was left in that jug. He poured it out on that canvas there in Melbourne and gave us a fun-ass fight out of stubbornness, out of just refusal to be a splat of blood on that canvas. I love me 
some old man athlete pulling something out of his ass that he shouldn't. And this very much had the feel of that. So you're saying you felt the nerves going into it for Anderson. I thought he looked nervous. I thought he looked like this is dangerous. Here's the thing. You know what was wrong with Anderson the last few years? He was washed and he didn't know it. So when he's going into fights against Bisping and Derek Brunson, which is a fight they shouldn't have even done, they just used Anderson's name to try to sell that awful home to Randomy Card in Brooklyn, I think Anderson didn't have the care, the fear of danger, the maybe extra time put in the gym to make sure that he's Anderson Silva. I think he was roll out the balls, Anderson Silva. Oh, I'll figure it out when I get there. Like, yeah, I'll fight Cormier on two hours notice, even though I'm uh, I'm not even close to that weight. Oh, Anderson Silva, bro, I'll figure it out when I get there. The reason why Anderson Silva was so fun to watch on Saturday night and so surprising at 43 that he can do that wise is because he didn't just rely on being Anderson Silva. He worked for this. He went back to the gym. He treated this fight like the biggest and most dangerous of his career. And I saw a man with nerves entering there, a man who was rightfully taking it serious and we got the best of what was left of anderson silva and damn it was fun to watch and it was pretty damn good i will agree with that however i will say i thought israel adesanya showed more nerves than we expected from him because we expected him to just come out there and roll through it right i thought he was the one who was tentative who was unsure of himself at first he he went in there looking for those flurries but i think that he kind of knew at at some point like Okay, I hit him pretty clean, and Anderson's not going away. <laughs> so he, I think he backed off his game plan a little bit and just didn't force the issue because that was what we talked about last week was, is he going to feel, like, worried for his mentor and his his idol that he watched growing up in the sport? Is he going to feel weird about trying to fight him and putting him out like that? I thought that he did. I thought it seemed in those first and third rounds, like, he didn't want to do that. That's he wanted to just out, he just wanted to outpoint him. So you thought he had compassion. And if you're going to believe that, you look back to Friday's weigh-in when Anderson Silva in that post interview gave an incredibly emotional, I mean, look, you saw how much it meant to him to be back here at 43. If there's one thing you're going to take from my interview with him last week on our podcast, on our bonus pod, it was that he's so damn happy to be here at 43 following that leg getting snapped in half when he, when Weidman didn't beat him. Anderson lost. Let's just get that straight. But, um, he's so damn happy to be back in this spot. Like, pure joy. And I just lost my train of thought. Where are we going there? Man, I he was ha- he was happy to be in the fight and that he was just oh, happy and, to uh, get sorry. into the ring. So if you're going to believe that, then you, you saw his way in speech and, and he teared up and then Israel gets caught in that. And Israel admitted Anderson's trying to, you know, you saw Anderson get the selfie during that uh, UFC unleash or whatever you call that, the pre-fight documentary embedded. thing, and um, embedded in, I think that he said the right things, and if you're going to think he showed too much compassion in rounds one of one and three, you're going to look back to when he's fighting back tears at that way, and, but I don't believe that. I believe round two, Anderson Silva turned back the damn clock, clean, effective counterpunching, and I think he surprised Adesanya by... After landing a couple clean shots, he, st- he got on his bike. He looked like Aldo just last week, right? When Aldo had Moicano hurt, he rushed him like it was WEC Aldo. I'm like, whoa. Anderson tried that a few times in round two. And I think Asanio said this to himself. I can win this on distance activity alone. Because one thing about 43-year-old Anderson Silva, same thing about 39-year-old Anderson Silva. Not going to fight the full five minutes. It hurt him on the cards against Bisping, even though I think he should have beat him there. 
And I think Adesanya said, I'm not going to be this guy's cherry on top. I'm not going to catch, get caught by something ridiculous and stunt my growth and ruin my rise right now. I'm going to play it safe. You think it's compassion-wise. I think he bought into the danger of who Silva is. He remembers that kick Daniel Cormier ate in the in the gut there in round three at UFC 200, and we all went, whoa, whoa, Andy, whoa, he back, brother. I don't know if it was I'm trying to be a nice guy and protect here. But you think that he still has that power? Like how – if you're Israel Adesanya and you're in this fight and you've thrown pretty well in the first round – and you're landing, and you can clearly see, like you just said, Anderson can't go the full five minutes. Like, he clearly, after that rush that he had at Izzy in the second, he clearly needed a minute to recoup and recover. He needed all of round three to regroup-wise. Let's be honest. I think he won round two. He didn't have a lot left to win round three. So, if he's got that much going, like, he can only do it in 15 to 20-second bursts, you're really worried about that guy coming at you with a counter-strike and just knocking you out? That seems a little weird to me. I, I just think that Mike, you jump in here. More... It's, you're still Anderson Silva, bro. He'll still highlight that, KO you. That was my that was what I was gonna come in with, is it is still Anderson Silva and those quick blitzes with him. Um I don't think Adesanya has really fought anyone with Anderson's striking level at this point in his life, even at even at his point now at this age. And you always see these counter punchers fight each other and you see ugly matchups all the time. So I just chalk it up as like a great stylistic matchup where these two strikers, maybe once in a generation, are in there together and they have to be careful with whatever they're doing. Granted, Anderson's old, but the striking, he still has those punches, those kicks. Like you said, he landed on Cormier. You don't know if he lands that on Anasanya, if it hits the right spot, if it's done, if he's curled over. So I chalk it up as a good matchup. Yeah, but at the same time, they're both natural counter strikers, which is like – the reason Israel is so affectionate to him is because, like I said, he was his idol growing up. He made his game after him, and he's trying to make it better. I just I, – I don't know. I was a little bit iffy on the Israel performance. I thought he was way too cautious with it with Anderson because it's a, it was a star-making moment. After everything that happens eight hours beforehand, you get to headline the pay-per-view against your idol – in front of mostly your fans. They might have been cheering for Anderson Silva, but those are people that are there supporting you from New Zealand and Australia. And you didn't go in for the kill. Now that I'll makes agree me, with you in that. I'll agree with that you. Makes that makes me Yeah, that makes me a little questionable about what we think about in Israel Adesanya going forward. It's like does he have that killer instinct to just go and go for the knockout? And does that will that make him a star if he's out here doing these point matchups where he's worried about getting knocked out or getting catching that one punch that might be the one that ends him. Well, here's the thing. Whether you believe it was compassion, not wanting to be the villain, not wanting to kill his idol, or whether you believe more on my side that he tasted enough in round two. And by the way, let's not forget he got rocked twice in round two on counter shots. We're like, whoa. And maybe he played it safe. Either way, he took a step back in terms of his stock. This was the ultimate rub opportunity. No, nobody gets this type of opportunity, right? The ultimate rub to fight Anderson Silva in a pay-per-view co-main in your home area to get a chance to end him and then get his fans and get that push. And we said best-case scenario for all of us was that Silva goes the distance and we talk about his balls and that he had one more good effort, but that Adesanya kind of dominates. And in the end, I think Adesanya had warning track power out there. And I don't necessarily mean in his punching power. I mean in his performance and his killer instinct and all of that. Third round, Anderson did not have the stamina left. He was almost giving 
uh, Adesanya a chance to beat him by doing that stupid drop your hands Ricardo Mayorga stuff that we saw that led to the knockout against Chris Weidman the first time around. Don't do that crap, Andy, all right? Do that against a feather fist guy. Don't do that against a killer like Adesanya. I get, again, what he's doing. And Adesanya, I think, got what Anderson was doing. And I think that's why, even though Adesanya lit him up with, with, with some combinations, didn't step in because this is what Anderson wants you to do so he can counter big. But if you're Anderson, if you would have lost Weidman style on that, get off. F you. Like, F, get out of here. When Anderson Silva walks into a room, you could hear a rat piss on cotton. I would have pissed on the rat pissing on cotton because I would have been that upset. Like, don't do that crap. But he was gassed in round three. So you're right. Adesanya should have stepped out on the, on, Adesanya should have finished strong and he didn't. And I think that's why he looked disappointed. He did the right thing. The baby face bow down. Tell your legend you love him. Kiss the ring and get out of here. But you were not the last style bender. You were just another bender. I, go ahead, Mark. No, no, no. You, you start off. I was going to just say though, I thought that Anderson gave him two opportunities in that third round. Though that was to me, I told you this off air. I thought when he called him into the corner when Israel was like trying to get him back into the middle, he kept pointing, no, come yeah. here, come Stephen here. Stefan Bonner move, only this ain't Stefan Bonner. But I thought that was Anderson saying, hey, young buck, you want to win this fight? You want to put me out? You're going to put me out in this corner oh, like, right go now. Oh, like go out on my sword? Like I'm going to give you the chance to finish me? Take yes. my rub? Take the spirit and soul out of my chest and insert it into your veins? Here's your chance, kid. And the kid didn't have the balls. That's what you're saying, Wise. Yes, yes. That's what I thought It's it felt like because Israel was like, all right, I'll play your game for a second. He went in for a punch and then backed out again. And Anderson's like, no, come here. And then he's And then Israel was like, nope, I'm going to the middle. You come find me. That's where it was just kind of like, Israel, you want to play his game. You want to be like him and do those kinds of things in the ring. You better go in there and do it with him. You can't just be like, no, we're going to do this my way. You got to play his game if you want to get that star rub like you keep talking about. And when you said he dropped his hands and everything, Anderson gave you a chance to knock him out and you didn't take it. You landed three straight shots on him and didn't continue because Anderson wanted you to finish him and you didn't. That is, that is, uh, yeah, you're right. That's a, that's an interesting way to frame it. Does he have that? Is he's always talking about, you know, uh, I'm already a level up and they're still loading and all these video game, you know, catchphrases and he's got it on the microphone and he looked like he had it walking down a Brad Tavares. He looked like he had it killing a Derek Brunson. You're right. Anderson wasn't going to make it easy. He was going to, he was going to go out on a shield with his back up against the fence, which is the worst place to be against an Adesanya, but he was going to give him that opportunity. And I think Adesanya was afraid of that fire coming back. I think either way, step back, even if he goes into a Whitaker matchup. And I don't think they'll push him into a Whitaker matchup. Had he walked in there and KO'd Anderson Silva, I think Dana calls up Kelvin Gastelum and says, sorry, bro. Sorry. Yep. Sorry. No, you're, you're right. It's, you're right. It's because time. that's, and that was like, that's like one of those conspiracy theories. If you really want to dig into this kind of like dark web stuff with UFC that in, I live in the dark web. Come on. You could make an argument that maybe UFC knew something about Robert Whitaker's health issues, right? Like maybe there was something there earlier in the week that they were like, Hey, you know what? Maybe you should go to the hospital, but give it a minute. Let's see. Let's see how these numbers look because. When I listened to the podcast back last week with your interview with Israel when he's talking about how, oh, my videos on YouTube, on the YouTube for Embedded have like double what Robert Whitaker and Kelvin Gaslam's do. They wanted to see if Israel and Anderson could push that and maybe 
fill in in the main event role. So maybe UFC said, hey, Robert, you need to go get that thing checked now. We need to figure this out and see if we got a star in this kid or not. That's a conspiracy theory for a lot of those weirdos out there that you could look into if you really think that that's a possibility. First of all, never call us tin foil hat wearers weirdos, right? <laughs> we are the people that are willing to challenge the status quo. We are the people that are willing to believe. And, uh, yeah, I'm not against that. I'm not against that idea. Sucks. It sucks for Israel. But, again, by playing it a little bit safe, does get the clean and clear win, does survive in advance, doesn't have the highlight reel of uh, eating some uh, crane kick like Vito Belfort did. Although that maybe that would have turned into an Israel coming back with the Mohawk 2013 TRT style and just juicing to the kills. Speaking of juice, uh, are you in, in conspiracies? Uh, good old Andy had uh, more muscle definition than I've seen in a long time, and at 43, he he, he went for it. Do you think he was? Uh, I think he had the headphones on before the fight, listening to the performance-enhancing audio. Are we allowed to say that? Let's let's check with the legal team. Your, your thoughts, wise? He looked bloated around the waist. He had some great love handles. But the speed was back. Oh, yeah. That was the weird thing. It was like he definitely didn't look like the old school Anderson Silva where he's just cut up, looks fantastic all around. He was a – I mean he has the dad bod now. He's 43. Well, there was more muscle though. And I I don't know if he trained as hard the last few years. Seriously. I I think he just was rolling in there. I'm Anderson Silva and I'm a superhero. And I mean certainly the way he lost to Weidman the first time around, his ego was way too large. We know that. I think he cared, and wise, I think it was the defense was the difference. His commitment to defense in round one and working behind a high guard, I know he dropped it late in round two and round three. We just said how stupid that was. But his commitment to fighting between behind a high guard, we'd never seen that before. Well, he also did the, uh, as as uh, Conor McGregor and a few other people called it, the attacked by beast defense yes. where he was doing the touch-up on the shoulders and the head. That was awesome. I mean, he was. I think that also confused the hell out of Israel because Israel didn't know where his hands were going at at those times. He didn't know if they were countering or if he was just defending. It was so that was an entertaining as hell fight. You had a lot of showmanship. They did sort of yeah pull that pull it out and sort of measure and and they went back and forth a few times with that and they they didn't cross uh, streams at all. But I I was down with that. So what now do you want for Anderson? He's talking about wanting to fight at UFC 237 in Brazil this May, and he actually mentioned Nick Diaz. But Nick Diaz then went on Instagram last night and said, I'm not interested in fighting right now. I just want to party. So hey, what kind of – uh, Nick is bloated and he is partying. Follow him on Instagram. Uh, visit his collaborations there. You will see that this man is touching a lot of stuff right now. He is there, – there are things in his body. He will not be fighting anytime soon. It's weird though. Anderson coming in was talking about I'm going to fight, you know, maybe redo my deal and get a five-fight deal. I feel like he put so much into this damn fight not to get knocked out. And to – by the way, he really, 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 really cares about his fans. Did you catch that from the interview we did? He yes. really – he is fueled – by the love from his fans in a genuine way. I don't know if he's also smashing his fans on the side. He did, remember, ask me to bring my wife to that uh, interview workout session, which, I, you know, in hindsight, I don't know what was going on with that. I don't know if he actually wanted a story or, or you know, if he was like, you can wait outside. But anyway, uh, he loves his fans, and I think this was a gift to the fans. And afterwards, you heard in his voice, it didn't sound like he wants to fight forever. It sounds like he wants one big more homecoming in his hometown of Kiritiba. Also the home of uh, Chris Justino, correct, Cyborg? I think so. That sounds right. All right. Um, that's interesting. You're not going to get Nick Diaz, it seems. 
So here's what you should do. Here we go. Fight Conor McGregor because it works. And when things work, Brandon, you use them. Not everything in this life works. But when you find something that works, you use it. I could be fat. I could not have a six-pack. But my dick works. My dick works. DC uses that thing. It works. This fight works. Don't talk to me about the weight issues. This is two martial artists that are fun, that have respect for each other. They can meet somewhere in the middle. It's pay-per-view gold. Nobody loses in this scenario. It's a way to send Anderson home. Do the hometown gift for the fans. Tell me any reason why we should not do Anderson Silva, Conor McGregor. Conor seemed into it, bro. Connor actually tweeted um, in his tweet at the end of the fight where he was talking about Anderson. At the end of it, he finishes up with, it would be an honor. So, you know Connor's in. Connor's all about money. Is Connor so. drunk, drunk tweeting there? We've seen some drunk tweet rampages lately. <laughs> well, you see LeBron well, had that wine drunk treat, tweet there uh, last week. And then uh, I don't know if anybody was watching Corey Graves from WWE on Twitter last night. He had a weird rampage going. And uh, people need to get away from the phone when there's things in your system. The next tweet was about uh, Robert Whitaker or about uh, Gaslam and carrying around that 185 belt. There are worms crawling on his skin. It was absolutely ludicrous to even consider him to compete, let alone now walk around the arena shaking our fans' hands. Someone needs to sort this out. Let me let me sort that out for a second. Connor don't want that Gaslam smoke, nor should he. That's Connor attacking Alley, right? Yeah. All right. Yeah. But take me back. Give give me a reason that you do not want to see that fight, please. Because Connor is five nine and Anderson is six two, and Anderson's skill set does not match up well with Connor. I don't think Brandon likes to watch the UFC break records because that would break every pay per view buy record. That's not what it's about, dude. It's about what the fight would look like to me, and I don't think that's a good fight because this it would be similar to this with a small. It would be similar to Anderson Silva against Israel Adesanya with a smaller Israel Adesanya. Like Connor, they're both counter strikers. Connor is a counter striker at heart. So if he's going to sit and wait, we're going to have a lot of Nick Diaz laying on the ground waiting for Anderson to jump guard. No, we're like, not. It's going to be – I'm going to tell you why right now, okay? Anderson wouldn't wouldn't fear his power. So you would get to see turn back the clock, crazy striking Anderson. And then Connor would play the Manny Pacquiao role against uh, Oscar De La Hoya and come in there with flurries. And it, it would be something. Are you saying the reason why you don't like it, Brandon – let me, I want to ask you this. I want to get inside the mind of Brandon Wise. Okay. Come with me for a second. Is it because you fear a boring fight that would make the whole circus not worth it? Or is it that you fear, and this is, uh, uh, what other journalists I've heard said, that it would be too one-sided in the favor of, of Anderson that it makes no sense? Second one. And second part is, let's say, okay, let's say in your guys' hypothetical world, this does happen. Are you taking Conor McGregor to knock out Anderson Silva, Mikey? No. Okay, Brian, are you thinking Conor McGregor knocks out Anderson Silva? No, the odds makers would look at that and say Anderson should win a decision and there's a chance he could stop him. I think Conor would, would be competitive and it'd be a fun fight and maybe Anderson okay. goes out on top. Okay, so let's let's just say in this hypothetical world that Anderson Silva wins a decision against Conor McGregor this May. Conor McGregor then would not have won in the UFC since when? 2016? Okay, so that's a danger you take, but to Mikey's point – you're moving two million pay-per-views for that, right? And what is yeah, Connor and then right you're... now? Is Connor a legitimate title contender, or do titles not matter for Connor? He is a lottery ticket at this point. 
He's fighting whoever he wants and whoever is going to get him paid. Guess what? He'll fight GSP next. He'll fight GSP right after that. And I understand that, and that's fine. But I just I don't understand the thought of like he was our first double champion ever. He's so great. All he does is win. He doesn't back down. And it's like he hasn't won in a while. Like it's been a minute since we've seen him actually successful. He said that originally. He said he wants to fight Nate if Nick was fighting Anderson, and I actually like that more. I think that's the card that you need to make if you're going to try and do this. I do not want to see Conor McGregor against Anderson Silva. I think Anderson's length and reach will be way too much for Conor. I think if Conor goes in there looking to drop a haymaker, like we've been talking about all show, his Anderson's counter-strike is going to catch Conor flush, and I don't think Conor can hold up against that. Especially if they do it at 185 or 180, if Anderson can even make 180. Because I don't, I'm not even convinced Anderson can do a catch weight that's lower than 185 right now. Honestly. I say do it He's 43. Weight. I say do it open weight. There's so much sex to happen in this fight. <laughs> Break out the red panties. We're rich, baby. And here's the truth. You know what happened that night on Mayweather McGregor when everybody got rich? Connor sold his soul in the middle of that cage for the, or the ring, I'm sorry, for, you know, millions and, 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 and sort of immortal, stardom immortality, right? Like, he took the Mayweather bait where it said, it's, it's all about the money now. You know, it was, it was about the money to a large degree for Connor on that build, but it, at that point, he left his soul in that ring. So, yes, I got fooled when he came back to fight Habib after two years that he could still be that guy, that that magic, Brandon Wise, and you can't deny that magic was ever there. That magic had him knock out Josie Aldo in 13 seconds when we all wonder what that, what did that fight look like? That magic lulled Eddie Anderson and, uh, Eddie Alvarez into going away from his, uh, his plan to wrestle and get knocked out. It was, look, there was magic that was similar to the Tim Tebow magic with the Broncos. The Jeremy Lin magic for two weeks with the Knicks. Sometimes in sports, there's magic. Some people believe it's spiritually induced, but sometimes there's just a run of damn magic. He left the magic in the cage, in the ring against Mayweather, and cashed the damn check. He's not that guy anymore, and that's fine. Why not let him do these party favor fights that are big events and you use his trash-talking ability? Because once he gets a couple more L's in UFC, he's done anyway, and he's probably fighting Paulie Malignaggi in boxing, and then probably tension Nasukawa out there in uh, Japan. He's a, he's, it's a carnival show. It's no, it's no longer. Whatever was left on the inside of that soul... They sent it to the location, and Habib ate it. You're damn right he did. I'll end our this part of our conversation with this. I think that Connor's tweets and how he's using his social media is actually the best way for UFC to use him because people really weren't interested in this card, right? Like as the news comes out on Saturday afternoon, people like kind of were just like, all right, I don't have to worry about this card now. And then the Anderson Silva fight happens. And people are talking about it on Twitter. And then all of a sudden, Connor's jumping in the conversation. And all of a sudden, more people are looking for this story online and searching on Google and looking to find out what the hell he's talking about. And he's been doing this for the last few cards. If this is how he's going to participate now in UFC but until they make him a fight in maybe May or June, this is what helps them get more numbers. This is what helps them keep interest because the fights in the in the promo, in the 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 talk beforehand with press conferences aren't really doing it. Conor McGregor talking about your fighters and keeping people interested 
is what's going to keep numbers up he's, and keep he's an this. Influencer. He's a social media influencer. and They used him uh, effectively. I'm not against that. Yeah, they they got use, people use him for Firefest. Firestarter. Oh wow! <laughs> Would you take one for the team for this podcast? Speaking of Fire Festival, if you needed to. No, it's my first episode, so uh, no. <laughs> all right, uh, all right, yeah, yeah. Do they not know I'm half black? Oh, stop it! Just stop it. <laughs> so my question, Brian and Brandon. Well, hold on. I'm half black from the belly boom down. I can't believe you lived past that comment. By the way, all right, keep it. <laughs> so my question for you guys is: we hit on we hit on Anderson's side. Who do you want to see Adesanya fight next? Because these last two fights, like Brunson, the name power is there a little bit. Two and four in his last six fights. We all know Anderson's story. The name, the name's there, but it's not the same Anderson. So, like, if I'm talking about you guys, would you give Adesanya that next title shot, or do you want to see him face someone like Romero or someone that's in that top three, top four area? I think to be really tested. So right before we had this the talk breaking down this fight, I'd said, you know, I don't know. We'll see. I don't know. I know now. We we fleshed it out in this conversation. I know now. Adesanya took a slight step backward in this, proved that he's not ready right now for the damn title. So you do Adesanya versus Gastelum, number one contenders fight. I don't think you need to do an interim title because I hate that crap. They probably will, though, to sell the fight extra. Even if Robert Whitaker isn't that hurt, they'll probably say, look, Whitaker's injured. Let's float this crap belt out. We'll make it a pay-per-view main event. Adesanya, Gastelum, you'd sell Kelvin. Look, we'll pay you more. We'll pay you main event money. Brandon, you're okay with that, right? Winner gets Whitaker? See, so this is my thing, though, with Israel. It's like, was Brunson even in the top 15 when he fought him? No. No. Okay, so he hasn't even been in the top 15. Well, maybe at the end. I mean, that's okay. not, it's not a strong and he just And he just fought a 43-year-old guy who they gave a number 15 ranking to because of his legacy. Do you really think he's in that line for a title shot right now or even a number one contender fight? I think no, he needs to fight tricky. one of I think he needs to fight one of these guys who has a wrestling background that can also strike. Enough of the one-dimensional fighters where it's going to be kind of a cupcake match or a good setup match for him. I think he needs to fight someone who's could take him down and potentially put him somewhere where he's uncomfortable or could potentially stand there and exchange with him. Not to a full level of it, but to a partial level and to hold the ground in there with him. Well, that's interesting that you say that. If you're like a matchmaker... And UFC doesn't always matchmake this way, but like, let's look at boxing. Top ranked, best matchmakers of all time. They, they'll take a young fighter, they'll make sure he fights every single style that could potentially expose him so that he's ready when he finally goes up to the mainstream. UFC has proven in recent years, there's no more of that. It's, oh, you can sell, you're going, you, you, you skip the line. You're right, he probably should fight a wrestler so that we and he can know exactly how good he is, but that's not always what's best for, best for business. I think they already put the rocket ship on him. You gotta, you gotta keep going with it. I think Gastelum is sort of that softer step where, okay, if he's really for real, he'll beat Gastelum. Then that will tell you that he earns the title shot. Is there anyone else in the division wise that, that should or could leapfrog? I mean, your guy, Wadman, who, I don't know, just last week was telling TMZ he wants to fight John Jones. And again, brother, you don't want that smoke. And now suddenly he's back in at middleweight. He wants all these guys. Yeah, you tweeted that he was not impressed. He said overrated for Adesanya's fight, which that would be an interesting one. A little bit of wrestling. That's the perfect guy for you, right? Downfall. Yeah, Mikey, that's the guy that really fits that 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 prototype there of that stereotype of wrestler. He also seemed to be angling for a third fight with Anderson Silva, which I'm not against that. I think you want to see that. Just you just want to see that so that you can actually see Anderson Silva lose to him. I'm going to tell you something that you're going to have to deal with here, Brandon. 
if they do the third fight and Anderson Silva defeats Chris Weidman in Curitiba, he wins the rivalry. That is the worst thing that could happen for Chris Weidman ever, is if they fight a third time and Anderson wins. <laughs> because then in the- Shut up, Mr. Weidman. Shut up. <laughs> Rockhold took his soul and he still owns it. Anyway, um, Brandon, that's, that's probably not bad matchmaking right there. I'm not, I'm not against it. Um, just to go back really quick, he, um, Israel fought Derek Brunson and Brad Tavares, who are both now in the top 10. I don't know for sure if they were when he fought them the, at their times, but to be fair, those are two guys now that Israel has wins over in the top 10 of the middleweight division. I think if your boy Luke Rockhold ever gets healthy, that's another good fight too. For who? Anderson? For is for Israel. That is actually a really smart idea. Israel Luke Rockhold is very sellable and that really would sort of it wouldn't answer the wrestling question by any means. It's a heck of a fun style matchup between strikers, but again, it comes down to what UFC's plan is. Is it to to rush him into a title fight and hope he wins it or is it to now slow your roll? And try to make sure he's that good. I don't think they have that in their matchmaking DNA anymore. Yeah, I don't either. It's it's either you're going to sell for us and you're going to get a title shot, or you're just going to be another guy who fights on the early prelims. Right, and even though Gaslam played it perfectly from a PR standpoint, he doesn't have leverage right now in terms of needing... I mean, look, if Tony Ferguson wasn't guaranteed a title shot upon coming back when he got freak injured doing PR work for UFC, then... You know, if you see the way some of these guys are handled, Colby, the way Colby was handled, I don't know, the way Nico Montano was handled, Kelvin Gastelum will not be getting any special gifts anytime soon, most likely. Yeah. R.I.P. Jermaine Durandamy and her title run. Never heard of it. Uh, let's roll on out of, uh, that main event. Uh, nothing else really to, to capture from those two fights, but, um, bad card on paper played out okay. Do you think it overachieved the, uh, the definition of worst pay-per-view uh, main and undercard we've ever seen? Um, It was better than 224. I gave it that. The one with Amanda Nunes against uh, Rocky Pennington. But, yeah, I mean, it was just another average to below average card in general. There was just not a lot of fireworks. Like, Lando Venata got a nice submission win in the first round of this co- what it became the co-main event, but... There was nothing great in that fight. His oh, guy, the guy he was the, fighting wasn't Yeah, he exposed the guy, stellar. Marcos Mariano, who just was like remedial level CM Punk style on the ground. It's like, come on. Yeah. Ricky Simone looked phenomenal, both in the ring and with his flow, with his greasy mullet. Uh, I need more Ricky Simone in my life. Uh, <laughs> I mean, really, he wore it down Yaya and really put it on him. I mean, I, I love the pressure. He's, it, it, I mean, there's, there is Clay Guida consp- uh, c- comparisons there, right? Prime Clay Guida? Yeah, I would say so. I kind of felt bad for Yaya just because he seemed like he was trying to pull a Damian Maya where he just wanted to get the fight to the ground in the worst way possible, and Simone was just not having it. Love it, love it. Uh, my girl, Montana De La Rosa, um, for some reason you don't see what I see, Brandon-wise, and uh, you know I'm not necessarily going in that direction, but I'm saying um, you can tell me all day that Nadia Kasim was not ready for prime time, but Montana De La Rosa, second-round submission via armbar, rolled through there. Look, we had just seen her take care of Rachel Ostevich uh, last summer, and uh, this is a player at women's flyweight, and you know, this isn't the best division. It's not that deep. She's long at 5'7". She's young. I think she's I think she's an out, a tough out. Could be a future title contender now that she's put four wins together. Yeah, she's a future title contender in a division that's shallow as hell. 
She did get submitted by Mackenzie Dern in 2016 in Legacy Fighting Championships. I'm here for that rematch. You? Yeah, let's book that. Go ahead and book that just so we can see how good your girl actually is. She got stopped by Cynthia Calvillo in the next fight in LFA in 2017, but four in a row, three and oh in the UFC. I'm not saying she's fighting killers, but, um, let's see more. Let's see more. I'm, I'm, I'm down with that. Um, the rest of this card, tell me, tell me why I should care. I mean, the, the, the tarantula Jalen Turner is back with a, with a knockout win in the first round. That was nice to see, but, uh, Sam Alvey, welcome to your first numbered card. We'll never see you again. Thank you. Uh, that's about <laughs> it. Yeah, that, oh my god. I, I kind of feel bad for Sam Alvey just cause he's such a positive person in general and seems to have a good head on his shoulders, but he's just not a, a great or good fighter. He's just an average guy who's been around for this long that's finally, finally got on his first pay-per-view card ever. I'm with you, I'm with you on that. Let's, let's roll on before we, uh, set the stage for what's coming this weekend, a really good weekend of mixed martial arts. Check out those latest headlines. We mentioned, of course, the tweets post 234 from McGregor. Um, we can do this every week because it sort of needs to, because you're always going to get an update from Conor McGregor on social media on what's on, on his mind. Based on those tweets that we mentioned, the ones calling out Gastelum, the ones saying he'll fight Nate on Anderson's card, the ones saying he still wants Anderson. What's McGregor's 2019 look like for you, Wise? I mean, it's look like Cowboy for a hot second. Look like Jose Aldo, maybe. Where are we going here? I think you still got to look at those two. I None of the, this weekend really seemed to me to indicate anything future fight plan-wise. I think he was more just having fun on Twitter, talking up a big game. I, I don't see how you can't look at the Jose Auto rematch as a possibility for that Credibita card in Brazil, make it the homecoming for Jose Aldo that he deserves, and put Conor McGregor there. Like, has Conor McGregor fought a UFC pay-per-view main event anywhere outside the United States before? I don't think so, right? No, no. He he had uh, that homecoming card early in his run, right, where he headlined yeah. in, in Dublin, I believe. Um, but but his two his pay per views are always either Vegas or at MSG. I'm pretty sure. That is true. That is true. So why not experiment? Take your chance with this, which I don't really think is even a gamble at this point well, to put Conor McGregor and Jose Aldo there. It is. It's and, a gamble from a financial standpoint because there's a reason why these guys. When a fight gets this big, I mean, there's a reason you could say it's security. I say no. There's a reason why Anderson Silva, Chael Sonnen 2 didn't end up in Brazil because there's more money to be made from the site fee and from jacking up the ticket prices in Las Vegas for these. And that's the reason why everybody goes back to Las Vegas. But is there a – there can't be like a state tax or anything in Brazil that's going to take a lot of money away from these guys, right? It seems the only Brazil benefit is lax drug testing. Can we be honest here? <laughs> More TRT. More yeah. Vitor Mohawk. Um, I think if you're UFC, you need to, you need two Connor appearances. You need the first one still to be softish. We don't do get wells. We don't do stay busies, but one, he can win. You want cowboy, you want Aldo, that's fine. I don't throw him right back in with Nate yet, cause that's still a fight he can lose. It's a fight he can take a lot of damage. Let's not forget that second fight was a war. Dana was scared afterwards to ever do a third one because they both took so much sustained damage. Seriously, we always think the, the flashy first-round knockouts where somebody's lights get turned out and, and they're shaken is the worst thing that can happen to you. Really, it's five rounds of sustained damage. And, and Nate and Connor, I mean, they fought through hell that night. Am I wrong-wise? No, you're right. My only thing is, I'm thinking about it now, we're at what with Jose Aldo? 33? 34, 32, maybe? 32. 32. Okay, he's at 32. He's 
and like you just said, he himself has been through some damn wars too. He's been in the game for so long that his chin might be questionable to, if he gets up there against more elite competition again. Well, let's bring in Connor. His chin is deteriorating. So I might have question marks if they make that fight how long he's going to sustain given that Connor knocked him out in 13 seconds the first time. I don't think it'll be a flash knockout like that, but I, I, it's enough of a fight to me that I would be very intrigued in the buildup, how the two interact before the fight. And then once it gets into the cage, because they're not going to go to the ground, they're going to stand and trade and it's just going to be who falls first. I think you're going to see the most – if they did that fight, you would see the most inspired. You'd have to do it at 155, and you'd see the most inspired Josie Aldo you have ever seen. You'd see him put on some more muscle, and you'd see him ready for war with the crowd behind him. That's Maybe that's more dangerous for Connor than I realize. Look, I, I'm obviously looking at this not from the standpoint of a Connor superfan, but from the standpoint of making the most money out of Connor and keeping him around if you're UFC so you can make – uh, the kind of pay-per-view, you know, money in, in financials that come in that his star power, his rare once in a generation star power, uh, you know, would bring. And that's what it is. It's a business. That's what you look at him now. He's not running back that Habib rematch, nor should he. It's like I mentioned earlier. So it's gone the idea in my mind of this guy fighting through the rankings and winning titles. So I don't know. You do the cowboy one just to, to rebuild his ego. And I think the cowboy one is more scary than you would think though, because Cowboy's great off his back, and he has the striking that can kind of keep it up there. Yes, he doesn't move his head enough, and Connor will kind of pepper him in the face and get a hold of that. But I think um, he might be able to pull off that, like Nate Diaz first fight, where maybe he catches him on the ground real fast with something off his back, like a triangle or something, something from the uh, WEC days, you know? But the true, true, true or false here? Cerrone's got a little Diaz brother in him. Doesn't tend yeah. to win at the highest level. Doesn't tend to win when those lights are the brightest. Yeah, look great against Eddie Alvarez in, in Alvarez's debut, but really, wise, defend that. There's no defense there. No, and to go off of that, are we sure Cowboy can still take people to the ground? Because <laughs> last I checked, he looked pretty stiff in that for, in that fight against Alexander You're Hernandez. Stiff a couple as a board. He's stiff as a board. Um, yeah, I I like that fight. I. I do agree that it is a little bit dangerous because of um, Cowboy's power, but at the same time, it is soft enough that I don't think it's going to be as wild and crazy in exchanges as we might think it might. Interesting. Interesting. Let's look at Habib now. What's what's the news this week with Dana? <laughs> so, Khabib is on his suspension with Nevada, which, again, one governing body making sure that you can't fight anywhere in the country is kind of a joke. Um so Khabib is going to sit out for his suspension, but he's also going to sit out until his training partners and, and teammates are off of their suspensions because he thinks that it's unjust for them to have received the punishment that they did. Well, Dana White says you're not going to be able to do that. <laughs> Read that you quote. Can't. I mean, that's insane. Read that quote. Dana says guys can't sit out and wait that long when you have the title. Says they will have to figure something out if that's Khabib's plan. Oh, so let's let's just go. Hold on. <laughs> yeah, I got pot and kettle on line one. Go for it. What do you got? <laughs> Khabib fought for the belt against Connor, right? That was October sixth. That was the day I got married. That was four months ago. At this point in time, right now, how many guys have fought only once 
in the last year or in a year or two with their title over their shoulder to protect it. Um, I mean, you, it's got to be it's got to be. Oh, we can run down years. a list based on injuries and all that, or you can just say Conor McGregor held the lightweight title for two full years and did not get stripped until UFC 223, and then we weren't even sure if he actually was stripped because Dana was so weird in those interviews the week of. Remember, like the whole like, well, Brett Okamoto vs. Ben, is he stripped or how do you not understand this, Brett? Because you're not saying anything. This is such a friggin' joke. You know what's coming here. Another interim title. Remember that one Tony had? So what does this mean? Well, Tony, so does Tony still have it? Because I still see him posting pictures. With oh, it. he does, but they technically have taken it away from him when when Al Iaquina lost. So where are we going here? Are we going for a summer or fall fight? Tony Ferguson versus who for potentially an interim title? Now, Ferguson deserves this more than anybody. But strategically, if you're UFC, because look, that reaction from Dana is ridiculous. Okay, it's just ridiculous. But it does give them opportunities to elevate somebody here. Do you throw Connor back into that mix and give him Tony? I don't think so. I think that's too dangerous to fight. You're going to get a Tony win. I don't think you're going to sacrifice Connor's brand for Tony. Then who do you give Ferguson? Do you give Alec? What about, what about Dustin Poirier? Oh, yeah. that's way better. You're right. That's that's the Dustin Poirier spot if I've ever seen one because they don't trust him to main event yet. They still have their questions about if he's sellable. You give him an interim title shot against a dude like Tony Ferguson who is bat bleep crazy and will say anything at these press conferences and during these press tours to sell a fight. Put those two together, I think that's a great matchup, first oh, of all, yeah. and I think that those personality clashes is going to be fantastic. Okay, that fight is violence. That fight is everything. And that fight, to tease what you just said, might make Ferguson a star. Really. That might be the fight that makes Ferguson a star and then sets him up to when he's playing B-side to either Connor or Habib in 2020, you're doing big business. Yes, make that fight. This is one of those rare times where I where I might have to support an interim title, especially because Tony never deserved to get it stripped from him. This might be that time to do it. And uh, but it, Yeah. But it, se- it seems weird just because that seems like a fight that's pretty easy to make unless – Tony is the one saying he don't doesn't want to fight anybody besides Khabib. So if he's saying that he's going to sit out and wait for Khabib, then that's where this gets complicated because Dustin, for all of his greatness and how he's the run that he's been on, has had his own issues with UFC. As of we talked last week, he's been publicly negotiating on Twitter trying to get fights done, saying that they're not doing anything right with his contract. He's going to wait for a top contender. Apparently they offered him – he's saying that they offered him Ally Aquinta – but he doesn't want to fight Ally Quinta because what's that going to do for Nobody him? Should. And Ally Quinta is now calling him soft or whatever, saying that we need to make this deal happen. Or and I, I feel like it just makes so much. It it's almost dumb that this fight hasn't been booked yet because it just makes so much sense for both guys. Yeah. They both need they both need a fight and they both have their own issues with getting treated pr- properly by UFC. If you're either either guy's management, you need to go to UFC and say, hey. We need to make this fight. We will take less money. We will take whatever our current contracts are to make this fight happen, and then we will renegotiate once this is over. It's too simple. And if you're wondering where Nate Diaz fits in there, this he doesn't. Uh, Chael Sonnen interviewed uh, uh, Gilbert Melendez in Australia before the card last week. In, in what are those? Those weird bet DSI videos that Chael's constantly <laughs> pumping out, probably for huge cash. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I believe in Chael. Never piss off a gangster. Very financially smart there, but uh, the point was Gilbert was saying uh, Nick's never coming back, and Nate 
is making too much money to need to come back. What is Nate doing in the weed game? Make just just smoking profits and, and I mean this guy. Uh, shout out to him if he doesn't need the UFC. Maybe he comes back one more time to finally do that Connor thing. But again, that's a lottery ticket for UFC. That there's no need to force that cash in. That's an old guy trilogy fight waiting to happen. So he's out of it. This pleases everybody. This is a division that's been bottlenecked, the deepest, best division in all of the sport. Yes, this does seem to to fix that. Dustin versus Tony. Uh, what about uh, Daniel Cormier? Dana thinking that he's going to fight three times. Dude, this Cormier fake retirement mandate of uh, when he turns 40 in March smells so much like Bernard Hopkins, who for years in boxing had been like, I promised my dying mother I would never fight past the age of 40. Then that became 41. Then he fought to his 51, okay, until Joe Smith Jr. sent him to hell through the ropes that last time. Uh, DC ain't going anywhere, guys, because DC's now getting that main event pay-per-view money. Well, I was going to say, if he has this self-imposed retirement plan for March when he turns 40, it's April, it's February 11th today. Like he needs to make a fight like now if he's going to fight before that date at this point. Like it, clearly the retirement is not happening on Mar- in March this year. He's clearly going to fight at least two. I think he's going to fight two more times this year before he di- does decide to call it a career. And I think that it makes the most sense to wait and see what happens with this John Jones. Brock Lesnar and Stipe Miocic saga because first of all we were talking about this before why has Stipe not gotten a fight <laughs> like obviously he's still holding out hope for this rematch but it's not gonna happen man like Daniel's chasing money and he does not see dollar signs with you next to it he needs to make some kind of fight in the next two months if he wants to still stay active and still stay atop this heavyweight division at this point right that's fair. That's fair. And you say Stipe and DC going back and forth. Uh, this is dangerous for D- here. DC, I think, has to declare something for me to really understand where he's going moving forward. When he takes the third Jones fight, is it going to be at heavyweight? Where I think it should be because I think DC with the heavyweight championship has the leverage to make that fight coming off all John's drug issues in the most advantageous division for him, which is heavyweight where he can hold some advantages. We've never seen John there. DC doesn't have to cut to 205. Might have more punching power there. But if he wants, if he feels like he has to do this thing where he runs back to 205 to do that trilogy to prove to himself he can beat the light heavyweight version of John, I don't know, man. I don't like his chances in that fight. I also wonder what Cain Velasquez's influence is in this. He's coming back after a couple years this Sunday. We're going to preview that fight later. It's a fantastic fight. If Cain instantly is back, and ready and deserving of a title shot. DC's been one hell of a great friend this whole run. He only ever cut to 205 for his friend. Um, does this mean that DC's gonna get out of the division and get back down to 205 for Jones just to let his friend get back and, and win back his title? Like, I don't like any of this. Just like, I don't know if I like the idea of fighting Stipe when you could risk the Jones fight. It's, uh, it's really, this is suddenly now a, a weird how you manage this. Where does Lesnar fit in here? Like, where does this, I don't know where this is going. So I think the injury with DC really like kind of changed how everything is if he's actually hurt because you never know when guys are actually hurt or not. I want to say that the Lesnar stuff with WWE really threw a wrench in all of these plans because if that doesn't happen, they're probably already announced for this April card, right? They're probably already doing like promos DC against Lesnar at 236 whenever they make that announcement because – they need to make that fight happen. Like DC wants that cash out. And I, yeah, I don't know. I think depending on what, like you said, what happens with Kane, that might affect his decision making here because 
if Kane wins, <laughs> all of a sudden now he's back in this title talk for the heavyweight belt, even though he they won't fight each other. Here's the thing. If he, Kane is going to win and be back in the title picture, maybe DC should give up. the, Or maybe he should fight, fight Lesnar, get the pay-per-view money, then give up the belt. Then take his time to get back to 205 if that's where he feels, because then everyone would win. I don't think he'd beat Jones, but everyone would win, because the idea of Stipe, Kane, you might be putting the two best heavyweight champions in, in UFC history against each other, and then you, you can kind of bill it as whoever wins this is the greatest. So my question to that is, <clears throat> you're going to have DC going ba- back down to 205. like He's struggled with weight cuts. And the ballooning up to the heavyweight division, I forget what he weighed in for his last fight, but I know it was above 240. Oh, oh yeah. And so now you're gonna, now you're gonna bring him back down to 205 where he had that little weight issue where he used his thumbs on the towel. Oh, he held the damn towel in. in Buffalo. Don't, don't, let, hashtag yeah. never forget. So, so you have those things like, is it possible for DC like another year on his age? Is it possible for him to make 205? It's a like, really bad if, idea, but he seems, fo- he seems to say it's, it's in play and I don't get it unless it's, all about the friendship of opening the door back up to Kane and DC going all in on I have to beat Jones at 205, which, again, makes no sense to me. You already removed the need to beat John Jones when you went up and beat Stipe. You, that allowed you uh, an entry to the upper room table of the five greatest fighters in history. I'm talking about Silva. I'm talking about GSP, John Jones, possibly Demetrius Johnson, and Fedor. Membership into that club, DC now belongs because he did that. I get... The idea of I still can fight Jones for Red Bull money, and, and I can, because the only thing he can do to improve his resume is beat Jones, obviously. If he beats Jones, he's got a chance. He's the argument to be the GOAT. I don't think he'd be the GOAT. Well, I say that now, yet I'm sitting here telling you today that I think Jones is still the GOAT, drugs or not. So, yeah, I guess he would have a pretty damn good case of being the GOAT. But, man, don't do that crap at 205. He's looked so great at heavyweight. There's, it doesn't make sense for me. I'm not a fighter. I don't know anything about the game, but it doesn't make sense for me for him to drop back down. His hands are back. He's got, he's got that power back in his hands. He looks comfortable at heavyweight. So I think he's going to call it. I, I really think it's one to two fights this year. He defends the belt against either Lesnar and then either Jones or Stipe. And then he walks off because Kane will have fought if Kane because if Kane wins this weekend, he probably has one more before he gets back up to that title fight. And then that's where he's going to be like, yep, you know what? Kane's the best. I I give up my belt. Kane, you go take it. And I think that's where this picture ends up. And he's too good of a friend. That's what I'm saying. Taking too many for the team. (laughs) Fire. There's a fire festival around you, DC. Come on. Get on the last plane. Get out of there, bro. Hey, by the he's, way, he's my girl and yours, JJ, young Jacek, Joanna. You've jo- been following her on Instagram. She's vacationing all over the world. You follow this journey, or am I the only creep- w- creeper watching this? I wish I had the money to travel the world like she does, because she seems to be able to do whatever she wants. She seems like the happiest person ever. Cut back <laughs> down to one fifteen. Smart move. Does not have the power for one twenty five against the elites. Um, yeah. I'm here. Every single day of the week for a trilogy fight against Rose. Of course, Rose is going to have to go through Andrade, and uh, I don't still don't know if I favor that in that. But uh, I think Joanna has one more big girl bout at 115 to try to put a capstone on her legacy. Yeah, I I hope that they give it give her the chance. I just I have question marks still about her fighting against Rose if they make that fight happen or. Because I think she beats Jessica Andrade again. I think 
that would be a pretty easy fight for her just based on her style, how it matches up with Andrade. But I still have a lot of questions on if Rose is fighting Joanna a third time because if she wins 3-0, and is hard to argue against her being better. Like, after all of that talk about Joanna being the best 115er of all time. She's still the best 115er of all time, but I hear you. Three losses to one person. Sorry. You might be out of that conversation. Uh, what the hell is Amanda Nunez thinking here? She wants a third UFC title. What does that mean? Can you, you're not cutting to 125, are you, Mandy? So this is what she says. Every time I wake up, I see the belts and I think I can get more, collect more. I know I have the capacity. So I have this will. It's possible. But I need some time. I need a year to get ready. I'm not afraid, but I need time. If I go down this path, I'll take that belt, and I ha- but I have to be ready. All right. Because I think Valentina uh, Bullet beat her in that rematch, I'm always going to be here for, for a trilogy fight between them as well. This has been a fun rivalry. It's been very close. But, I mean, uh, am I hypocritical to say this is a bad idea and I don't want to see this? Yet I'm saying, hey, GSP, convince Dana to let you fight Habib to try to win a third title and become the first uh, champ, champ, champ. Uh, uh, tri- this is interesting here. I, I, do you see it in her body when you look at her? Could could she could she be that thin and wiry and be effective? I don't know, man. I don't think so. We talked about it at 232 when she beat Cyborg, how good she looked physically because she was at a more natural weight where she didn't have to worry about a weight cut. She was able to eat healthy and not have to worry about sweating it all out at the end of the night. She is a natural 145-er. If if she's really serious about doing this, like she said, it's going to take her time and it's going to take her a lot of a lot of hours of just cutting weight and trying to change up her diet and everything. Is the, Do you think that it has anything to do with that, by the way, that you mentioned about the, the Valentina fight? Do you think that she wants to go down there and prove that she can knock her out? Because that's to me, that's the only reason that she would that she would even need to do that. I, if you're her, I mean, why don't you do a, champ, uh, a champion versus champion third fight at 135, which Valentina would do tomorrow? Yeah, I, I mean, I get why she would do it. She would want the third championship. It's really dangerous. It does open up this possibility, and I'm not trying to be creepy or put anything on anyone's lives, but let's say Amanda does go down to 125. Say she wins that championship. Let's say she goes, well, I can make this way easy. And then her and Nina, the relationship gets rocky. Maybe there's a third person involved. Maybe it is Rocky. Actually, maybe it's Rocky who's the third person involved. And then we have the first X battle. Breakup. Because I've always said, one day if Tisha and Rocky Pennington, you know, have issues, maybe they meet in the middle at 125, right? Maybe, I mean, am I, are we going to have to cut this audio out afterwards? That insensitive? I'm just saying. It, there's I, some passion in that matchup. I have so many questions about you. <laughs> you what is going on in your brain at this point? Match, Please don't a, do this again. I'm a natural-born matchmaker. All right, let's get into this weekend. We have a loaded uh, Friday. Hey, if you like MMA, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, it's coming after you. Bellator doing this Bellator trick that they keep doing, probably to fill dates on zone, but we're going to see a Friday night card and a Saturday night card, both from the same location. Sometimes they split up the sites. Sometimes... They're in the same city. Uh, they did this in Hawaii. They did this in Connecticut and New York. They're doing it this time around in my backyard of the Mohegan Sun Arena in Uncasville, Connecticut. Uh, I don't like that they do this, guys. I say this a lot. You could have one really loaded card this weekend. Instead, we're splitting them up. Friday night, Bellator 215 headlined by what could be a banger. Matt Mitrione, fresh off his loss, his one-sided whitewashing to Ryan Bader in that World Grand Prix. Going to fight Sergey Karatanov, a Strike Force Grand Prix veteran. 
Well, yeah, this, this we're gonna see fireworks here. This one's not going off. Uh, this one's not seeing around too, bro. I'm excited for this just because he was finally somebody to put an end to Roy Nelson and knocked him out in the first round. Like I haven't seen in a long time. So I really like Sergey in this fight. Um, Matt Mitrione was is the only one doing the promotions, I think, because he's the only one who speaks English between the two of them. And he keeps talking about, oh, yeah, I knocked out Fedor. I'm going to knock out this other Russian guy, too. I don't think so, buddy. I think that Sergey is going to be a little bit more for you to handle than 44-year-old Fedor was at that point in his career. I think Matt is getting to that wash point. He's a little bit reliant on that on those hands to do all of his damage. He's not moving around the octagon as well or the cage as well. Yeah, I think Sergey might just finish him clean here in the second or third round. Wow, wow. I mean, for for as good as Matt looked at times, I mean, he finished Fedor, although he got dropped in, in that double knockout at, at Bellator uh, NYC pay-per-view that was amazing. Let's not forget, he had trouble in those first two Bellator fights, too. Remember that, that jobber knocked him down and, and uh, rocked him? That was a weird setup. That was an international card in which Mitrion was going to be on the announce team, yet had a fight on the card, got rocked, got up, won the fight, was not with it, and then joins the announce booth after showering. That was that was a little bit weird on there. But this is a banger of a main event. I don't really love the rest of the card. We're going to see Eduardo Dantes, former champion, uh, there at a bantamweight bout against Toby Misech. Um, I'm not seeing a lot of names that I know or love outside of there. There's one. There's one that you should know and love. My boy Michael Kimball, is that what you're talking about? No, it's Mr. Van Zant, Austin ha- Vanderford. Oh yeah, Mr. Van Zandt. He's got a welterweight bout against Cody Jones. What, do we know anything? Can this guy fight, or is he just a, uh, a, a side piece here? What are we doing? I think he's just a side piece for now. But hey, if he looks good in this fight, he's six and zero in his professional career. This is his first fight after fighting on Dana White's Tuesday Night Contender Series after Bellator snatched him up. If he can, if he can perform well, he might be something to pay attention to for a minute. All right, we'll the see. guy to pay attention to for real on this undercard is the aforementioned Mike Kimball. You woke on this guy, Brandon Wise, from my backyard, legit. He's from Waterbury, Connecticut, city next to where I grew up uh, in Naugatuck there. And uh, Kimball has two, like, 10-second knockouts with Bellator, two highlight reel ones already. The guy can fight. Uh, I believe he's with uh, Connor's manager as well. Um, oh, really? What's the guy's name? Uh, Audi, Audi Atar, I believe he's with with them as well. Uh, he's fighting Jonathan Duma in a bantamweight bout. You see, this guy is a good prospect. Have you seen that six second KO he had at Bellator 207? The guy brings it. The guy bangs. I do remember that. Is he going to be what they hoped for James Gallagher and Aaron Pico? Could be, could be. He's young. I believe he's only about 19. He's mm-hmm. in. in uh, he brings a somebody to watch for sure. Also, Mr. Van Zant on the undercard in a w- women's atomweight bout. We have Lindsey Van Zant fighting. Any relation to Paige here? Not that I'm aware of. All right, just just a weird coincidence there. Interesting. Yeah, I don't believe she's related as well. Let's bounce forth through Saturday night. This is the fight that really matters. Bellator 216, same arena there. Of course, it's going to be on the uh, the Friday night one. I believe is a is is one of those co streams between the Paramount Network and DAZN. Saturday night, however, is a DAZN exclusive in the states. If you want this, Michael. Venom, Page, Paul, Daly, Welterweight War as part of this amazing Grand Prix tournament. It is in DAZN. Also, shout out to Scott Coker and Bellator signing that exclusive deal with Sky Sports in the UK, which seems to be another profitable step forward for Bellator. But look, this tournament is fantastic. Rory McDonald in it with that Bellator Welterweight Championship, but you could argue that this group of welterweights in Bellator better than what we see over in the UFC, and this is that grudge match between two 
guys with dynamite in their fists that we've wanted to see for a while. They made it happen. MVP could be a future star of the sport. Uh, violence and fireworks, right? I mean, that, that's it. Buckle up. Get in there. Get in there early. Get ready for this thing. But before we get all in the weeds on this card, let's hear from the two fighters. Paul Daly, Michael Venom Page, coming at you right now. Enjoy. Paul Daly, Semtex, my man, coming in high and heavy. How are you, brother? I'm good, mate. How are you? Doing great. You know we're all fired the heck up for Saturday night, Bellator 216. Finally, we get to see the clash with MVP. How long have you been waiting for this? Well, it's it's a massive fight. I think he's been waiting for this fight for a long time. I've just been waiting for the time to be right. So uh, the time is right now, February 16th. Everybody's going to get to to see a fantastic show and an explosive main event. Look, uh, Paul, when this tournament, the Bellator Welterweight World Grand Prix, which is fantastic when it was starting to get put together and you started to hear the names who could be in this and the rumors are leaking out, everyone's going, I see MVP. Where the heck is Paul Daly? I need this tournament to get some Semtex ejected in the veins. It seemed to take a while. Now you're here. How hard was that process? It wasn't, it wasn't really hard, you know. It was kind of, when, when the tournament was announced, it came at the time when, when I hooked up with a new manager, um, well, a manager, because I've been managing myself for, for 90% of my career. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it, it was just that we had to negotiate and uh, figure a few things out, but it was always going to happen. It's just that we just had to uh, make sure everything made sense. All right, well, does it make sense for you to have this fight in Connecticut. Hey, that's my backyard. That's that's where I live, brother. I'm fired up. But the UK fans are like, "What's going on, Coker?" Yeah, I think maybe the way I the way I hear it is that the timing just maybe it was the, the delay in me signing the contract, or maybe it was the, the venue availability is is what I'm hearing, um, and they just couldn't find a find an arena to, to to host the event. But there's a lot of arenas in the UK, but I think the I think the fight had to be at one of the prestigious arenas, whether it be the MEN, the O2, uh, Wembley, and and I think those those venues were all all booked up. So yeah, Connecticut. <laughs> be in Connecticut. Hey, do let's do eighty thousand <laughs> in Wembley fans. Stadium, please, Carl Frotch. Move aside. Let's do eighty thousand. Come on. <laughs> all right, tell tell me, Paul, about the appeal for you in signing up for this tournament. Uh. I've always wanted to be involved in a tournament going way, way back. Early interviews, I always mention at the time as, as a young mixed martial artist, I always mention pride and seeing the spectacular fights there, seeing all the confetti fall, fall uh, down from the ceiling, the big checks at the end. Uh, it was it was what was driving me in the sport at the time to be involved, not necessarily in matchups, but to be involved in such a tournament. And it just seems that I've got my wish, you know. I've been lucky enough that Scott Coker's now here at Bellator and Scott Coker also spent a lot of time in Japan and you can see how that's influenced him and how how he's ran his both strike force and now Bellator with this tournament format. And I think it's a great it's a great format. It it, it just allows the best matchups to be made and, and just makes it that slightly it makes it extremely interesting for the fan, and I'm excited to be part of it. No question about it. There's there's the potential for some incredibly fun matchups. Um, 
are what I don't I'm going to ask you is one of those fun matchups a rematch with John Fitch because you seemed really upset fighting no. him last <laughs> May. Can you no, tell us what no, happened no. in that fight? Well, yeah, I would. I, I, it's not. It's not. I, I know I could. I know I could win the fight if certain things are in play, but not even certain things. I wasn't happy with the referee. I'll go out and say it. Um, he lied backstage. I don't want to go into too much details about his his relationship previously with John Fitch. Um, but that's all I'll say about that. But um, that's not a fight that I look forward to. A fight that I would look forward to is Douglas Lima because I think that. I am at fault in that fight. Um, I, I rushed. I rushed a fight, and uh, the referee did everything right in that fight. I just didn't take my time. And Douglas is an extremely tough guy and former champion, but I really think I have the beating of him. So John Fitch, I think Rory takes him out quite comfortably. Rory, for, for me, is one of the best pound for pound fighters in the world. An extremely talented and. Uh, scary fighter to be honest with you um so i think pitch is taken out but i'm looking forward um it's michael page obviously february 16th but if i could ask after a rematch it would be the one against double muslima good lord that would be hot fire uh you're 35 now paul are you changing the way you look at fights and the way you attack them because you're semtex we want to see you go out there and bang but obviously being too reckless at times can get you in trouble. Who is Paul Daly at 35? Uh, Paul Daly at 35 is obviously I've matured a lot. I understand the sport a lot. And uh, I'm a martial artist. I've watched my fights. And, you know, you don't... If I've done something in a fight that's been a mistake, I'm not going to be looking to make that same mistake, no matter how entertaining it is for the fans. Um, I have to evolve as a fighter. And, and that is what essentially drives me in the sport the you know the evolution of myself as a fighter um so yeah i've matured uh, i take a, a different approach to fights than i have previously um but i like to be in exciting fights you're correct there as you could you you, you pointed out with the i'll call it an outburst um during the john fitch fight which was which was terribly boring for me um but yeah i'm i'm, I'm very i'm i'm, I'm very different to the earlier version of myself. Now, let's talk about MVP. A uh, lot of hype. Is the hype deserved, in your opinion? He is a very talented fighter. Um, he has performed extremely well in the fights that he's, he's had. He's had um, those two, two, maybe three spectacular finishes that have kind of, you know, fogged up a few people's glasses is a is extremely creative or is his agent or his or his team behind him are extremely creative on social media so he he has done in 13 fights he's done very well um for himself and i give him credit for that but february 16th he will lose he will get knocked out has there been anything that he has said in this colorful build that has legitimately gotten under your skin that you're like i'm gonna make him pay for that not really. I think he's, to be honest with you, I think he's, he's, he's childish. And I know his his clutch and straws hoping that he can get into my head, which is terribly disappointing for him and his team because he's going to end up drowning. Uh, you know, I like, I like I don't like things to get personal. I've never really got personal in any with any, any of the fights, even in the fights where I genuinely dislike the people. The fight is between myself and that person. So. If ever he was to say something about someone 
related to me, then I think that's a slightly a bit of a step too far. But I don't suppose he'd do that, and I'm, I'm probably not react. It would just make it more more devastating for him on February sixteenth. Now, when you look at his creative style, you mentioned, uh, you know, it's dangerous. It's like walking into a spider web. Will it change the way you will look to attack him knowing he can pull one of these highlight reel moves out of his ass? Uh, what one of the three that he has uh, out of 13 fights uh, against lesser opposition than myself. He, you know what, when you throw a punch, you have to throw a punch. He's not going to be doing those uh, spider arms and dancing while he throws a punch. So, like I say, a lot of people's glasses have been fogged up. Um, but there, there's this type of style, there is always an antidote, antidote to it. And, you know, it's happened in, in other sports. I always point to Nassim Hamid and Mark Antonio Barrera. Or if you're looking at MMA, you could say Chris Weidman and uh, Anderson Silva. You know, some people, you can believe your hype so much and, think that you can fight the same way against every opponent and that is not the case so we'll see what happens on february 16th but i'm extremely confident that he's not going to win this fight uh not to bring up past revisionist history revolving your exit from the ufc but you're the first person i thought of when all that crap went down ufc 229 in las vegas conor mcgregor habib Nurmagomedov, all the suspensions getting handed out afterwards Brother, you got a raw deal. What was your reaction when you saw that and 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 the punishment they got? I, I, I like you say, I've changed. I'm I'm a more, more mature person. I look at the sport and I look at the business, and I know that they need characters like Khabib and McGregor in order to keep generating the, those dollars. So I wasn't surprised that uh, of of the punishments that they got, and I'm not bitter about it at all. You know, I'm, you know. Maybe had my career gone a different way and I was, you know, shunned into fighting in bars and nightclubs for very little money, then and then I'd be a little bit bitter. But I haven't done too bad considering um, the mistake that I made and the, the punishment that I received. You know, I'm here, I'm speaking to you, I'm sat in the zone offices, I've been on ESPN, I've done well for myself out, out of the, the cage as well. My family lives a good life. You know, I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm okay, so... I'm not bitter, and uh, I wish wish both fighters could be the McGregor all the best. My God, are you are you running for public office, Paul Daly? That was such a sober and respectful response. I, I'm I'm impressed. Yeah, like you say, I'm I'm 35 now, and uh, I'm I'm no, I'm not 36. I'm 35, and uh, and you know you learn you learn. Uh, I can totally respect that. All right, let's let's sum up what this fight is going to look like inside the cage when we see it Saturday night on the zone. Uh, what can fans expect here? What they really want to see, what they really want to see is what they can expect: an explosive, entertaining fight, um, and it will be it will be it will be everything that they want. Okay, we'll say that. Yes, yes. Fired the heck up. What a fantastic setup with this Bellator welterweight World Grand Prix. And let's be honest, this was the fight that jumped off the bracket when they first put it out there. We'll find out what happens. Paul, great talking to you, man. Best of luck. Can't wait to see what happens. Thank you. Thank you very much. Cheers, mate. Michael Venom Page. MVP stepping in CBS Sports Podcast. Great to talk to you as always, brother. How fired up are you for Saturday night? Uh, you sound more fired up than me. I don't know. 
I'm about to question my like, how fired <laughs> up I should be. <laughs> no, no, I'm excited. I'm definitely excited. It's, uh, obviously, there's, a, there's been a big build-up. It's authentic, uh, and I, I just want to get this, uh, this job done now. Well, look, we're fired up as fans and journalists, obviously, because these are the best welterweights in the world. No disrespect to Tyron Woodley, but they're in this tournament, this Grand Prix, and this is the matchup, MVP Daily, that jumped out of the bracket that we hoped we were going to see when Scott Coker was first putting this tournament together, and we weren't sure yeah. at first. Then Paul signed. Now we get it. How long have you wanted this fight? Give us the history here. Uh, it, it's, uh, it's, it's been a while. Um, the, I first accepted the fight two, uh, a couple of years ago, or just over two years ago, actually, um, when, I was, uh, when I ended up fighting Cyborg. And uh, that, there was no malice. There was no, there was no like, you know, animosity there at the time. I just kind of was given the opportunity, and I, asked, I, I kind of said, yeah, I'll, I'll happily take that fight. And it was turned down by him. Uh, and then obviously once uh, you know everything started to happen, uh, I, I was just constantly asking for it. I was like, That's a, you know, we could just get this get this going. I don't know what, what the holdup is, and there was always one kind of excuse or, or, or another on his side. But at, at the same time, I guess it's, it's, it potentially has made it what it is, um, and it's built up to what it is now. The, and, and what it is is it is a great fight, and it offers so much. Uh, we're gonna find out a lot because. MVP, you give us such incredible flash, highlight real moments, but it seems like on paper, this is the big challenge. This is the one we've been waiting for. Do you feel that same way? Uh, Not really. I feel like uh, every time I finish a fight, my next fight is the big challenge, and then the next fight is the big challenge, and the next fight is the big challenge. When Cyborg came, everyone was like, oh, look, he's going to be up against a a veteran, you know, he's going to be challenged differently, and then caveman and this and that. It just everyone kind of says the same thing once the opportunity is there and i'm about to fight somebody so i feel like i feel it's it's, it's exactly the same thing with uh paul daly and I, I feel that way because i you know i know what level i am in terms of my ability and what i can do in a cage so i um, i'm just going to keep showing people where is paul daly at 35 right now in your eyes compared to the incredible explosive puncher we've seen throughout his career um he gave us the fact that he's still a very, still very relevant. He's still extremely dangerous. He's uh, anybody with that kind of uh, power in their hand, you have to respect, um, regardless of where, whatever stage of their career they're, they're they're at. They're still they're still capable. What were your thoughts on his loss to John Fitch watching that last May? Uh, I, I joined in with him when he was booing. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was just. Um, Again, stylistically, just didn't suit him. John Fitch is very good at um, just uh, keeping you down on the floor. There was one moment where Paul Daly potentially could have come back. I felt like he was a bit panicked and rushed um, after he, he stood up in the first round, and then you know just didn't have the didn't have the energy or didn't have the the, the, the technical ability to, to to do anything about it again after that. Um, uh, but again, this is this is where I feel he's. Uh, He's at a disadvantage. He is a very emotional fighter. So for him to even be, be carrying on the way he was carrying on during the fight kind of showed me his, uh, where he, uh, he he's at when he when he comes up against frustrating uh, fights. Well, you've got uh, a, a lot of the flash that brings people in, but it, but you know, even listening to you talk right now, you can hear the underlying mental toughness that 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 you'll need to separate yourself from the pack. Where does that come from in, in your eyes? 
Uh, people, although I haven't been in the mixed martial arts world for a long time, um, I'm a, I'm a, I'm an ex- very extremely extremely experienced com- combat artist. Like I, I've been fighting since I was five years old. So, and you learn a lot with that with that kind of experience. You learn a lot, and I think people kind of misunderstand. Uh, although I'm very junior in this, just being involved in combat sports for so long, you you have to be you have to wise up to what you know. I've lost some fights that I feel like I should have won, and I've lost some fights that um that you know where where I just, I've just learned a lot from, uh, and that was away from the cage. And now that I'm at the cage, I'm using all that experience that I've taken from those fights and I'm just, just in, you know, putting it in, in, in the cage now. When people look at you at six foot three, it's like, wow, this guy's a welterweight. How the, how the heck is this guy a welterweight? I mean, is this a weight you want uh-huh. that you see is perfect for you for, for the, for the prime of your career? I feel like you could add muscle and go to any division you wanted to. No, a hundred, a hundred percent. Um, in all honesty, I, when I first came in and my coach told me that, um, yeah, you, you know, you fight a welterweight at 77, I kind of started laughing because I, I thought he was joking. But um, I, I, you know, after being in it for the years that I've been in it, I kind of understand why he'd want me here. And it, it hasn't been too much of a stress to to, to make the weight each time. So um, I'm happy to continue until until I can't. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Uh, a lot of people waiting for seeing your charisma, seeing how exciting you are in the cage. You get it on the microphone. They tabbed you as a worldwide star from the beginning. Do you care about that stuff? I mean, I'm sure you care about cashing those checks, but does it matter to you to to reach a certain Twitter following to be known in every household in America? No, it's it's nice to be. I feel like it's nice to be appreciated for you know the work that I, I put in in the gym. It's a lot of work. So on that on that aspect, yeah, definitely. It's because uh, you know there's 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 people out there that I could uh, you could name that are you know extremely popular but i feel like i i can offer more i can deliver more so it is nice to be able to get that recognition at the end of it regardless of what that means and um financially i just it's just seriously we we just we as mma fighters put a lot of work and you know push our bodies to some height some height so it's it's nice to get that back in the end this fight will be mohegan sun in connecticut uh hey mvp that's my backyard i'm not complaining but okay. there are UK fans that are complaining. You okay with the location here? Can we put this narrative behind us? Um, no, for me, obviously it, it was disappointing, even for myself, because it's it's something that I had already pictured. You know, when you when you see certain fights or you envision certain fights, you you're, you you kind of picture the location where it's going to be. You, you kind of see everything and how it's going to go. And obviously, with my, I've got so many, so much more contacts in the UK. I feel like I could have done more with this show, if you know what I mean. I could have put more, put more of a show on, and and uh, the, the kind of the, the kind of people that would have been in attendance, uh, I feel would have been amazing. But it is what it is. I'm not, I'm not gonna, not gonna cry about it. We, you know, it, it's annoying. We, you move on. I still got the fight that I wanted. And uh, everyone's still going to see it, you know, especially the, this, this amazing Sky Sports deal. Uh, all the UK fans are uh, a lot more settled now hearing about that, that they can actually be there live and follow it with me, you know, be there with me. So um, it's still going to work out for the best. You've largely dominated the, the opponents you've been in the cage with. But 
you know, if you're going to have critics, they're going to be like, well, we, we got to see this guy dragged in the deep end of the pool. We got to see him fight for his life and, and fight through. Is there part of you as a fighter when you're on this rise that wants that too, that wants somebody to bring out the absolute very best in you? Uh, but that's, that's, if, if I was to agree and say by getting, uh, you know, beaten up, that brings out the best in me, then I would say yes, but I don't agree with that. Um, uh, the re I, I, like I say, I, I put my body through a hell of a lot. I start in the, 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 the most difficult scenarios in training and get beaten by some, some amazing athletes just so it doesn't happen in the cage. So I'm not interested in proving to everybody else that I, I'm able to, to get up from there. I train this hard and, you know, I look that good because of the way I'm training. And it, it, I make it look that easy because of the way I'm training. It, it doesn't just happen by fluke. Um, so for me, I don't, I, I don't get paid to be dragging to the deep, and I don't get paid to be getting hit. I get paid to come in and do my job and uh, and entertain, and that's what I do. Very fair response, of course. Uh, what do you think ultimately is the key? If you can, if you can identify one thing, why is MVP so good in that cage? Is it the timing? Is it the control of distance? What do you do that's so much more special than the rest? It's, I just do something uh, that people haven't seen in the in the cage before, and it's just new to them. And I feel people keep making the mistake of going to karate to to find out what it what I do, and going to taekwondo to find out what I do. And that's not what I do. I think what is special about me is freestyle kickboxing. And until they get that right, no one's really going to understand. And even when they get it right, it's still going to take them a very long time to understand what freestyle kickboxing is and how you can actually even fight against that style because it is all of the above the distance control the speed the timing it is all of the above and that is that is where that is freestyle kickboxing now a lot of people uh talk about another fighter another organization named israel adesanya and i'm seeing all these memes this weekend they're going you know what the real dream fight one day is mvp style bender you hear those whispers too Oh, they're not whispering. Everyone's shouting that, right? <laughs> Everyone's screaming for that one. So, um, yeah, no, of course it's a. Uh, but as you say, these are all fantasy fights. We can talk about multiple fantasy fights. Um, but and, until there's actually, there's, there would unless there will ever be kind of a, a co-branded uh, mixed martial arts shows. Uh, those these are these are exactly what we say is uh, fantasy fights. Now, when you looked at that bracket when it first came out for this tournament, who did you? Who are you expecting to see across from you in the final? Um, I I would like it to be Rory McDonald more because of how you know how much he's established his name, and I feel like if for whatever reason he might have had, he might have a bad day, and you know let's say he loses to John Fitch and Fitch goes through, uh, or you know Gracie goes through, and I meet Gracie in the final and I, and I beat them. I feel everyone will still you know be screaming that question and say, well, you never fought uh, Rory McDonald. So, uh, and and you know people kind of would excuse the fact that I am the champion at that time. The people would, would constantly be saying, well, you never fought that person. So I would like it to be him purely on that basis. Now, do you think it's fair to question Rory's decision making and taking the gay guard fight in another division before right so close to when this tournament started? No, not at all. Um, one thing as athletes that we are, we, we what we really like is is to fight. Um, if I had the opportunity to do the same and you know be classed as a double world champion against somebody that is as amazing as uh, Mustafi, um, then I would have taken that opportunity as well. 
And if you, if you, you know, especially if you're confident in yourself and you feel capable that you're, a, that you're able to do that, then 100%, I think uh, most, most fighters would have taken that opportunity. I can understand that. All right, to close here, we, we, we can't wait for it, man. We've been waiting forever. We want to see this fight. How does it end? Does it go the distance? Tell us what we're going to see on DAZN Saturday night. You're going to see a very flamboyant, extremely over-the-top flamboyant MVP and a very frustrated Paula Tampax Daily. And through that frustration, he's going to make a critical mistake that is going to leave him on the floor and give him the realization that we are not on the same level and I am that much better than him. I'm fired up. Yep. Right here. Check, please. I'm ready. Saturday night to zone MVP. Thank you <laughs> for your time. Best of luck to you. No problem. Thank you very much. They've been talking about this fight for, what, two years now? Yes. These two have had this, like, feud just trying to make this work and getting a deal done. Just get – all I'm saying is get these dudes to the cage. Put them in the bubble wrap. Seal them in the rooms. And just make sure they make it to the cage because if if something happens between now and Saturday and this fight doesn't happen, oh my god, our fans going to be pissed because they can't keep delaying the inevitable with this fight. Just pray that nothing happens. Don't, no, no weirdness at the weigh-ins. Just do, get it done. Do not wish an exploded ball on anybody this weekend. <laughs> I who do you like in this fight? Because I kind of got to lean towards MVP just on yeah. his youth and. I, I'm got a lot of questions about Paul Daly's chin coming into this fight just because he's old, he's an older fighter. He's been cutting weight for a long time. I, I have a lot of questions on him getting through this fight healthy. He's been through the wars. There's no question about it. Uh, always going to have this 35 now, always obviously going to have that, that power. But this is MVP's opportunity to be MVP. And let's not forget Paul Daly coming off a decision loss to John Fitch last May. That's not a good look. I'm sorry. Well, that was the fight. That was the fight where he was against the cage because Fitch did nothing but take him down, and yes. he was just so frustrated and bored. He was leaning over to Scott Coker. He said, "This is what you want. This is what you want. This is exciting to you." And by the way, we could get that rematch if this tournament plays out that way. But here's the deal: MVP is that special talent, the southpaw with range, the creative striking. Got a little bit of Adesanya in him, right? Got a little bit of early John Jones in him. You're seeing a lot of things you like. Can really punch. Can give you highlight real kicks. He's got a dangerous banger across from him in an emotional matchup, but MVP hasn't been fighting all killers, so this is that real giant step-up opportunity, and this is a tournament that is giving, going to give somebody a chance to really make a statement. We said in the beginning, when this tournament first got announced, this could end up being MVP's like star-making turn here. This is opportunity here. I think he's going to win this. I think he needs to win this. And the winner, fighting that winner of that Roy McDonald, the champion, coming back against John Fitch, so we could see MVP Rory in the semis unless they pull a, a, a backstage. No, I'm sorry. That's the wrong side of the bracket. So that's setting up to be what could be the best final possible, right? MVP Roy McDonald is potentially the best final possible. The winner of Paul Daly MVP is going to fight Douglas Lima, who beat Koreshkov in their trilogy. Damn, there's a lot to love in this tournament. <laughs> the the, Wel- the welterweights of Bellator are second to none, man. It's unbelievable how good and strong that division is. I'm just so glad they uh, Scott Coker took the heavyweight model and made it into the welterweight model. I mean, if we end up with MVP Rory, that's fan friggin' tastic. And that's no disrespect to Neiman Gracie, who's on the other side of that bracket. 
But I think they did that on purpose because they want the final to potentially be MVP fighting for the belt against Rory. They don't want him to win the belt in like the semis and then have to defend it. Which you certainly can, and we've done it before, call out Rory. Like, what are you doing fighting Gegard Mousasi before entering this tournament? You can even go as far as saying, why are you in this tournament? You're the champion, but it's, it's going to increase our entertainment ability here. Um, is there a fear here that if MVP is not the real deal and catches, catches that fade that, uh, that the hype train is over? And I know people bounce back from these type of losses, but Bellator is in a very interesting spot here. Homegrown Michael Venom Page, homegrown Aaron Pico. Look like we were, you know, this is what we always said. Can they produce their own stars? Can we have a few Michael Chandlers, not just one? Pico sent to hell in the last one. MVP gets hit, it gets clipped here. This is not a great look for Bellator's future, which they've invested a ton in. Yeah, I just think, I don't know. I feel like he's going to be able to bounce back if something like that does happen. I just think he's too flashy to not. I I don't know. I don't think this is as dangerous as we're making it out to be. I just don't think I don't think Daly has it anymore and I don't think he's going to catch that fade. I think it's pretty that's as easy as I can say it. I like him to 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 page to win spectacularly here. This is an opportunity. We have some washed heavyweights to talk about on the rest of this card. Are you guys moved at all by the idea of Czech Congo Vitaly Minikov, the former Bellator champion or Mirko friggin' Krokop, are you kidding me? Against, uh, against Roy Nelson's beard? Wow! Just, Brian, you gotta hit it. Wash me. I'm Wash me just... with this. Wow. Uh, yeah. I'm so, this is, this is, this is just old guys at the bar. Hey, let's go outside and fight. <laughs> kind of events. Like, I'm ex- I'm very excited for this. I think Czech Congo, by the way, sneaky good resume the last few fights. A lot of knockouts in there, a lot of early knockouts. That's a really good fight for him against a guy who was forced to vacate the Bellator heavyweight title for being inactive. But he's still undefeated. Like, Vitaly Minikov is undefeated as a heavyweight, and that's a good fight. That's a good co-main event for Bellator to have in that spot. I think Minikov probably wins, but I want to see it. And Krokop coming off of an ACL injury where he was supposed to fight Roy Nelson in the first – was it the first round of that tournament or was it before the heavyweight tournament? I can't remember. It was before. So he was – yeah, he was supposed to fight him before and then he had a crazy ACL injury that he's been recovering from. I forgot that he was on this card to begin with. And then when I was looking at it last night, I was like, oh, my God, that's right. He's coming back. There's so many so, layers to Krokop here. 44, of course, he knocked out Roy Nelson at UFC 137 in 2011. I'm sorry, he got knocked out by Roy Nelson. Let me take that back. And that was during a stretch when Krokop was kind of getting sent to hell, had been KO'd in consecutive fights by Frank Mir, Brendan Schaub, and then Big Country. And since then, though, since then? He's 10 yeah, and 1. He's 10 and 1 since that Roy Nelson KO loss. Since 2012, Merkel Krokop is 10 and 1. Fountain of youth? No. Drugs. Let's be honest. This man should not be fighting in the United States on a major MMA card. Was sentenced after his final UFC bout, which was a win over Gabriel Gonzaga, a TKO win in 2015. Got the two-year ban from USADA. What did he do? Went to Japan, fought Risen, never served the damn suspension. Scott Coker kind of has his hands in the air like, oh, what do you want me to do here? Uh, I don't know. Maybe not put this guy in the card. In the end, take your own, pick your own side on drugs. Maybe we don't care in reality. Maybe we want drugged up former names, right? Bellator is uh, the retirement home for these guys in South Florida. So uh, 
you know, you just enjoy it. Enjoy the uh, big country crow crop rematch there. Isn't that Risen fight when he fucking Mo? Yeah, he he he. I, <laughs> second round TKO. I, I get on King Mo about that uh, and say, look, you got to run that back. I don't care. I don't care if it's in the streets. <laughs> run that thing back. All right, bring Usada with. When him. when Krokop was probably about two sixty and King Mo was what one ninety maybe. Yes, yes, man. Krokop turned pro in two thousand one. I mean, it's forty. This is the best win streak win streak of his career. Okay, here's a crazy thought. Um, if he stops Roy Nelson and avenges this loss. Is he going to fight Ryan Bader for the Bellator Heavyweight Championship? Like, what is happening here? God, I hope not. He has fir- five first-round finishes in this nine-five win streak that he's on, and then they're all they're all stoppages after that. So we're either after this fight going to be saying he needs to retire, or we're going to be questioning the drug testing on the Mohegan Sun uh, casino grounds, or we're going to say because of drug testing he's washed and he should go. So there's going to be a lot of hot takes coming out of this fight. If he wins. Run that Fedor's fight again. Just do it. Just do okay. that until eternity. Okay, that's actually brilliant matchmaking. If you're Scott Coker, you go back to Fedor. You go. I got one more for you, brother. We run back all those uh, form. You know, we bring back all the footage from back in the day when they fought in that biggest heavyweight fight in the history of the sport. Yes, yes, yes. That's how you do it. I need some of that washness inside of me. Uh, Eric Silva, former UFC guy, is going to be on this card in a welterweight bout against Yaroslav Amosov. But you know what, Brandon? Nothing else to see here. Nope. That's about it. We got more stuff to talk about for right, Sunday. Let's, let's, let's wrap the show with, with the big one here. And that's Sunday night. UFC on ESPN 1. The big one. Not the damn plus. Not the deuce. Not ESPNU. It's on the big one from Phoenix, Arizona. Talking Stick Resort Arena. Heavyweights. Former title challenger Francis Ngannou. Fresh off that get well win, right? Destroyed Curtis Blades. Going in against former champion Cain Velasquez. The guy who I'm fairly comfortable in saying is the greatest heavyweight. In UFC history. Not a greater heavyweight all time than Fedor, of course. Injuries have ravaged his career. But I've watched UFC since day one. This is the best heavyweight I've ever seen, guys. Two years since he sent Travis Brown to the deep, dark depths at UFC 200. Breaking another long layoff at that point. First round finish. He back. And I don't even think he was hurt in the last year, right? We thought it was contract issues. He tells Ariel Hawani of ESPN it was more like he was just raising his kids. He was just chilling. It's hard to ever get a read on Kane. Never became the star he had the potential to. Doesn't have it. Got the brown pride tat. Doesn't have the it factor. But, man, can this guy fight? And, Brandon Wise, here's why you have to love UFC matchmaking. He ain't getting, uh insert easy and washed heavyweight name here. He getting Francis Ngannou coming off of a win. This is fun. This is going to be fantastic. Yeah, he's not getting Stefan Struve or uh, or our boy Andre Arlovsky. He's getting the top of the food chain. He's getting a legitimate striking challenger in Francis Ngannou. You could even say that Travis Brown fight two years ago, his last fight, that was kind of a soft matchup just to see if he still had it. And he over- overperformed expectations there. He threw... Wasn't that when he threw the spinning heel kick off of the or the oh, cartwheel heel kick? He was nasty like, that night. He had everything. He had the timing. He had the speed and explosion. I mean, I was ready at that point for for him to make a run at the title again. I mean, it was it looked like he was back. He back, brother. Now he's thirty six. Yeah, I, I my hope for him is that he he doesn't look his age. He has some of the tools left, but he still has the power. 
Because if he doesn't have the power in those hands still, then I don't know how to feel about him in this heavyweight era. Because if you can't knock these dudes out, you're you're gonna gas quick. And I still have no idea what his gas tank looks like. The the power's not leaving him. I mean, the power's the last thing to go. I think if anything, you're talking gas tank at this point. I mean, but he was cardio cane. That's the thing. That was his. So we don't. We need to. We need to see him go the full five rounds. I think. Right. I don't want to see him quick knockout because then we still have questions. We don't know what's still like. We'll, we'll still know the powers there, but we won't know what his the rest of his game looks like. Here's why this matchup rules, okay? Because there is the danger if he's a little bit rusty or whatever that Francis Ngannou just straight up catches him. I mean, that's Francis Ngannou. I mean, it's just sickening the the first round explosion in power. But at the same time, he could have one of those wins against Ngannou that Stipe had in their title bout last January. Where it's all about taking him down and ground and pound, and we spend four and a half rounds going, oh man, Kane still got it. Who's gonna outwork Cardio Kane? Who's gonna get up when he takes you down? Oh man, if only Kane and DC would fight each other, we'd find out who really is the best heavyweight in history. We're gonna have those conversations, so this is dangerous, yet it's also perfect matchmaking in a guy who has rede- remedial levels on the ground. And Ngannou can say all he wants about what he's working on, what he's improving. I don't know if you're ever going to teach him how to be re- anything but remedial on the ground. That's why this fight is fun. But I just want to pause right here and say, like, I know it's a career for Kane that's been ravaged by injuries. We never got to see how great he is. But at 36, look, it's a division where people age late. The window's still there. He's 14-2 and two in his career. His third he made his ufc debut in his third pro fight his losses both have explanations and stories with them right had that really bad knee injury in the first ufc on fox fight in 2011 gets knocked out by junior dos santos in over a minute comes back and redeems it twice and then of course we know 2015 loses the title in the elevation of mexico city to verdum he also was not at 100 percent. we've never seen this guy when he's at 100 percent be anything but the best heavyweight we've ever seen inside of this promotion. There's still time, right? There's still time for this guy to to have the career we always thought and wanted and thought he could. And he may end up having a longer career as an elite because he took the time off and doesn't have the damage acquired. It's crazy to me that he only had 16 fights. Like, he's been in the game for this long. And he's only been in 16 professional fights. And like you said, he started in UFC with his third. UFC 83 was his debut. Like, that's crazy that he's still, he's here still, and he's only going to be in his 17th pro fight. And how crazy is it that in 14 pro fights, he's got two wins over JDS, won the title from Lesnar, beat Big Nog, and has two wins over a prime Bigfoot Silva. Like, that ain't bad. That's not a bad resume, bros. I just want, like I said, I want to see it. I just want to see what this looks like now at 36 with a year off of just kind of stay, staying out of the sport for a minute. I think he kind of did what, um, what, what's his name? What is his name? Jorge Masvidal told me he did where he just kind of took a year to, to recharge the batteries, to stay out of the sport, stay out of the gym for a while. Just like you said, hang out with his family, enjoy that family time that he probably wasn't having before. And I want to see what he looks like now that he's like, all right, I'm, I got one more shot to make a run at this title. I'm going to go do this now. This is my time. I want to see what this fight looks like. I personally was telling Mikey before we started recording, I kind of think Francis wins. What? But but it's because of the knockout power, that one-punch power that Francis has shown us he has against like Alistair Overeem and the other guys he had on the way up. I think Kane wins. But if I was betting, 
the underdog money on Francis Ngannou looks pretty nice. I to mean, me. he's always going to be a live dog, and and look, he looked really good in that Blades rematch in terms of uh, getting it out of his system. Forty-five second knockout in Beijing that that did not go to the ground. But then again, we don't know what would happen if it had gone to the ground, and if so, I don't know, man. I, I, this feels like perfect matchmaking to present the danger, but to really set up Velasquez to look fantastic. I, uh, this is what are we? What are we worried about from him here? Just uh, three minutes. Well, you want to see what, minutes I want to see what the chin looks like. I want to see what his chin looks like. I don't think you're even going to get a chance to. Uh, we were talking about it before the fight, like Brandon said, and I, Brian, after what you said, I'm I might be fully all in on Kane winning via first round TKO. I think he takes him down. And just ground and pounds him until it's over. You know, like, Ngannou didn't really look great against Stipe when Stipe was wrestling him. And Kane is a different type of beast. You see those videos that him and DC are in where they're going at it at wrestling practice. And I don't know. I could just see him taking him down, putting him up against the fence, and just kind of grounding him into right. uh, a TKO win. Kane's for real. This Kane-Stipe fight that we're already trying to book for the championship that apparently DC is going to give up that we've just told him he is um, – that's gonna be a oh, I mean, that was the fight we always wanted the last few years when Stipe was building this resume and we we're like, hold on, Kane's better than him. We think we know this. We know this to be true. We need to find this out to be. So, yeah, uh, let's not count it before it hatches. We need Kane to still be Kane in there and not, you know, to get caught, get, get caught cold here. But great matchmaking and let's be honest, a really fun card here. Before we break into this card, we, it's prediction time. I think Velasquez gets the stoppage. I think it's a little bit later. I think Francis is going to show a lot of fight. I think it's a early fourth round TKO stoppage. What do you got for me, Wise? I'm going to go. I'm going to go third round stoppage for Kane because he's going to see. So this is the only reason I brought up the Francis stuff is just because I think he is going to land some shots that we're going to be like, whoa. That seemed to, to bother Kane. He didn't seem to like getting hit in the face or getting hit in the stomach that way. I think you're going to see a little bit more vulnerability just because of the age, and we want to see if he still has the speed. But at the end of the day, I do think that Kane's power and his overall maturity in the cage is going to prove out to be the winner here. And I think he's going to be able to finish Francis in the third round just with that cage experience, all of his maturity, and all of his experience. His his skill set. He's just such a more complete fighter than Francis is. So, yeah, I, I agree with that. I think he finishes him off in the third round. Go uh, ahead, Mikey. I'll stick with round one because I already said it. But uh, I, I could see him taking him down and kind of just ground and pounding him. But three and four, that sounds perfect also. You know, I could just see him just breaking breaking Nganu like that with just the ground and pound and wrestling. And Nganu eventually giving up, maybe giving up his neck or something. Or just kind of burying his head until the ref stops it. Yeah, that's that's, that's a way to go out without tapping, right? Because BJ Penn said only a bitch taps out on strikes. Remember he told GSP that. So yeah, uh, I think that's how you do it when you do want to tap out. Um, so look at this card, guys. There's really no like, like, unreal second fight, but there's like eight fights I I care about a ton, right? Like this co-main event, James Vick coming off of that knockout loss, going up against Paul Felder, lightweights. Hell yeah! Like, yeah! That's just such a great matchup of two dudes who just want to go and brawl. Like, Paul Felder's coming off a loss, but it was to Mike Perry, and we love that fight! Paul Felder and Mike Perry threw down for 15 minutes, man. Felder had the, what, These the dudes, arm? Felder fought through a ton in that fight. Yeah, and if they're both healthy going into this, they're going to swing and trade for 15 minutes, and it's going to be amazing. 
I, I'm so excited to see what this fight looks like. I want to see how Vic looks after that loss because he sounded like a broken dude after he lost that fight against Justin Gaethje. I want to see if he can bounce back and look okay. You know, he didn't get his backbone broken in that fight. He just got caught. So I'm, you know, for a long, tall guy like this in this division at lightweight, you hope he's not going to be a guy who's who's going to end up being a pinata target because he doesn't move his head enough or he just yeah. has the body where he's going to be, a, you know, going to be there for the hit. And he needs to come back and make a statement that he deserves, uh, you know, to swim in the, with the Sharks. And this is the best, deepest division. So a lot on him in this fight. Felder's obviously solid. So this is not a tough matchup by any means. We're going to see violence. Um, I even really like Courtney Casey, Cynthia Calvillo at women's strawweight. You know, there was a point where Calvillo was like Brandon Wise's sleeper fighter of the year a couple of years ago, and you were ready to crown her already in a division that didn't exist. Yeah, I think she's going to – this is kind of a coming out party for her just because she is finally coming off of that suspension from USADA, the nine months for marijuana, which, again, just the dumbest things in the world. Um, this is a good matchup for her to be able to show off her skill set because she is that submission specialist, and she will be able to take you down to the ground – and do whatever she needs to because she can she is a master of her craft on on the wrestling and I'm very excited that she's finally back and this is this is kind of that softer matchup because Courtney Casey is like 8 and 6 in her career but Cynthia can get into that title picture pretty quickly I think at strawweight if she continues to make this meteoric rise like she was on before I think she can make this happen and I think she's going to be up there pretty quickly what else jumping out to you on this card? I mean, look, I like weird. I know, matches. I know where you're going. I'm going to jump know where you're going. all the way down to that ESPN Plus early preliminary <laughs> card main event. My boy, the Baron, he's back, guys. Look, uh, this, this guy's not even 30 years old. How, has anyone been washed this early? Has anyone taken a bigger fall from grace ever than Hen and Brow? from pound for pound king, according to Dana White, to like this run of death? But he's still my boy. I still have the green T-shirt that I won in a bet from Brandon Wise that I wear all the damn time. It's Baron time, Bantamweight on Saturday against Luke Sanders, who only really is most known for being Becky Lynch of WWE's boyfriend over the past year. They're broken up now, but um, this is interesting. I like the Baron to come he's, back. He's okay. He's thirty-two. I'm sorry. He he's thirty-two, but he looks like he's forty in there. Dude, <laughs> he's lost six of eight. Six of eight, man. Since that. San- and Sanders has lost three of four, so something's got to give. Yeah, this is a get-well opportunity here for the Baron. We need him back, guys. We cannot. This cannot end like this, all right? Please, please. I'm looking for, for fireworks in there because Ben Hen and Brow, I don't know if the, the defense is gone. Is this a USADA thing? Faber was on the show saying it was a USADA thing. Either way, that guy fell off the damn cliff, and now he takes a lot of punishment in there. Let's get a statement win. Come on. Team Burrow, you with me? He needs it. I will get on your on your team for this fight because he need if he doesn't win this fight I feel like UFC's cutting him like get the hell out of here kind of fight. Um, the other one that I'm looking forward to is the preliminary main event, which yes. I don't understand why it's not on the main card. I get if you're trying to just push more people to get interested in it before the the start of the main card at nine o'clock or seven o'clock. I don't remember, but Jimmy Rivera against Aljamain Sterling is a great fight. Jimmy Rivera had that flash knockout against Marlon Marais, who we talked about last week, is now in title contention because he knocked Jimmy Rivera out and then Rafael Asuncao. But Aljamain Sterling has made a career turn here where he is starting to look like he's got that that demeanor where he can make a move here at, at bantamweight if he continues to win these big-name fights and get in these marquee events. I like this matchup. I think this is probably the third-best fight on the card in terms of style matchmaking. 
And I think Aljamain probably finishes off Jimmy Rivera here. Wow, you're ready to write off Jimmy Rivera. He had like a 55-fight win streak there. And then, uh, <laughs> we see him lose once to Marais, and you're like, yeah, that's it. He's done. No, look, this is a big opportunity for Jimmy Rivera to remind us who he is and that he's in this title discussion in this division, not the deepest division ever. Uh, big opportunity. They're, they're going to bang. This is going to be fun. Um, man, look, there's so many damn storylines on this card. I mean, this is Cron Gracie's debut. Hickson Son, 4-0, UFC debut, going up against Alex Caceres, which is a guy that flashy but can be beat. I think we're getting the tap out, right? Hickson by armbar, you can make a t-shirt out of that. How about Cron by submission? I'm ready for that. I'm ready. Look, it's going to be like that forever. I come from that time. If your name is Gracie, I will care about you. Even if you're Neiman Gracie in Bellator and your last name isn't actually Gracie, but you throw it on there anyway because you're loosely related, <laughs> I will follow and love you. I can't believe Kron's 30. That's kind of crazy. Yeah. And this is his UFC debut. Bruce Leroy, baby. That's what I'm talking about. Uh, we got, look, there's a quiet banger here in Vincente Luque, Brian Barbarina. Those guys come there to, uh, to knock blocks off. And dude, touchy feely and Miles Jury at Featherweight to open up that main card. Again, these are, these, these are services I want to have. I'm in this. I'm in this battle. They, they did a very good job of stacking this first ESPN card and, I just really hope everything lives up to the expectations that we've given it because if we come back here next Monday and it wasn't that great, we're going to – it's going to be sad. I, I'm going to be disappointed if these guys all – if this all ends up being gross decision wins for everybody. I will it'll, say, be very in, it'll be very interesting to see coming back um, next week and seeing how the Bellator 2 fights compare to this UFC 1 fight because you saw at the beginning of those Bellator fights, like you said, like – there are some guys on there that don't have a pro fight or have had less like there were a bunch of guys that had less than 10 pro fights on those on those two cards and then you look at this ES, uh, the ESPN card and you see a lot of names whether they may not be top tier names but these are guys that are well established in the UFC there's not many fighters there's I see one fighter on there that has three professional fights and I believe that's that's the least so it's kind of the exact opposite so it'll be interesting to see how they both play out and how it works how you see both um, concepts work. Just as interesting it'll be if Kane wins, man. We're going to have some fun heavyweight conversations next week on where we go, how we book this damn territory moving forward. Hey, uh, Brando, this guy Mikey Mormont joining the team here. This is this is, this is is good fun and games here. I like this combat audio. It's a good first run for him. I think he did. His, he held his own. How's his functional BJJ? Have you taken him on the mats yet at ATT? You're, you're in an ATT. You and Dan Lambert are, are like uh, are Eskimo bros at this point. I'm, wait, I'm waiting for him to bring me down there so I can learn some moves. He, he wants to catch that Arlovsky smoke. <laughs> <laughs> Bully beatdown episode all over again. There you go. Make, make <laughs> oh, sad, God. Man. Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> follow us on State of at State of Combat on Twitter. Mikey, can they follow you anywhere? Follow you around the streets? Uh, MJM, MJM CBSI at, uh, on Twitter. That's what we're talking about. Give yeah. out the occasional, give out the occasional UFC pick. Yes, yes. Yeah, he's gonna, he's gonna keep bragging about how great his picks are every time that he comes on the show now. Brandon did it for me. I didn't have to today. <laughs> who won our 2018 picks battle? I did not have the best year in UFC. This, the same person who won the 2017 one. By one pick on both of them. What did it Brian, come down you, to? You, you actually finished last, by the way, yeah. last year. Well, I'm an, I'm an emotional investor. We'll scrub right? that. We'll scrub that from the audience. You can't say that. We didn't hear that. I am uh, a very Mikey, emotional picker, okay? Mikey won by one pick last year because of my boy, Beefy Latifi. That's what it came down to. Corey Anderson against Beefy Latifi decided our fate. All right. All right. I'm in. I'm in on that. Uh, Beefy Latifi ruined it for you. I remember when that happened. Um, 
All right, hey, follow me at B Campbell CBS Brandon Wise sixty five. Enjoy the fights this weekend, loaded weekend. Come over to Brandon Wise's house, his dog will bite you in the cheek. It'll be fantastic, and uh, that'll do it this week. Uh, Brandon, anything else? Anything else to say to the people? We out. <laughs> <laughs>